Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Another couple of formative things happened. I did a film, as I mentioned before, The Last King of Scotland, and... um, had an amazing time doing that film. But the interesting thing on that film was that it was written by Giles Foden, who had um, grown up in Malawi. And uh, when I read that script, even though people may not think it now, immediately, the protagonist of that film is James McAvoy's character, the Scottish doctor. Um, in the script, Idi Amin was very much a supporting character. The fact that Forrest Whitaker went on to win Best Actor is, would have been inconceivable at script stage. Um, Giles, in his novel, wrote his own perspective, quite rightly so. They say to writers, write what you know. Um, Kevin MacDonald directed that film, and like I say, James McAvoy was the protagonist. The sheer force, and I can tell you this because I was there, the sheer force of Forrest Whitaker's performance is what meant that film had to be recalibrated in the edit and the power of the story meant that you cannot think of that film and think of Forrest Whitaker as a peripheral character. But at the writing stage of the book and of the script, the perspectives were white And that baked itself into the nature of the piece. There's nothing wrong with that. Giles Foden isn't racist. Kevin MacDonald isn't racist. They're just doing what I would do, which is to place myself at the center of the narrative. So that's fine. Great movie. But Forrest came to the fore because there is a world in which Idi Amin is the protagonist. I did another film called The Help, um, it was a, a novel written by Catherine Stockett, 
and Tate Taylor wrote it. Catherine, basically, in that book, was writing about her experiences of growing up in the South and the maids that she had and loved. And uh, you see that in the film. Emma Stone is the lead of that movie. She is the protagonist. In the script, that was very, very clear. When you watch the film, what you come away with I would argue, is Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer. That was reflected in uh, the accolades they drew. Again, perspective. The filmmakers were white. The lady who wrote it was writing her own experience. That's fine. That's her bias. That's her perspective. I would do the same. But the interesting thing, um, being part of those two films, is it, it, it taught me something. That... You can have the same story come at from several different angles. But it's very clear that it's who gets to tell the story that dictates what the story is. While this was all going on, the reason I got cast as the preacher in The Help is because Lee Daniels had cast me as Dr. King in 2010. We made The Help in 2011. Um, I literally got a call from Tate Taylor with him saying, oh, you've just been cast as Dr. King. We have a kind of a preachy role in this one. Do you want to come and just practice? Um, <laughs> that's, that's literally what he said. Um, so, uh, so I went and practiced um, being a preacher. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Sunday. October 23rd, 2016, so I have been told uh, so many things going on this Sunday evening. We here in Washington State, the beloved Seattle Seahawks are on primetime network television Sunday night American football, which folks could be tuning in to check out in addition to the return, since we're going to be talking about entertainment this evening, uh, the long-awaited return of The Walking Dead Season 7, all the drama and suspense, but we are here, again, focused on the biggest problem in the known universe, the system of white supremacy. Uh, concluding our 14 consecutive days of broadcasting, uh, one of our guests uh, that people were really looking forward to, uh, in fact, we had listeners uh, who spent a lot of time and energy trying to track down contact information and just were really excited uh, hopeful that we could get him on the program to share some of his views uh, on cinema, uh, particularly the history of cinema and how black people have been protracted, uh, projected or excluded uh, from the film industry. Uh, our guest, he has a lot of just really fantastic segments uh, with Mike D uh, on the Real Black YouTube video channel. Uh, great interviews. Uh, they cover a wide range of topics. Uh, we'll try to address some things this evening, but just a lot of great entertainment, a lot of constructive information. Uh, shout out to Mike D uh, at Real Black. Uh, check out their videos and subscribe uh, via YouTube. Uh, but I guess for the program this evening, uh, he is a black film historian and lecturer. Uh, he has invested a lot of time, energy, years really, uh, dissecting how Hollywood uh, uses the power of cinema to reinforce what I say is the white supremacist agenda. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks uh, tuning in are uh, excited to hear from him. We'll be glad when we can switch up uh, to hear our guest for the evening. Joining us live, Mr. Charles Woods, a.k.a. The Professor. Uh, Mr. Woods, are you with us, sir? Can you hear me? Loud and clear, sir. Uh, thank you, Gus. Um, 
It's so good to be with you. I'm humbled by the invitation. And thanks out, uh, uh, a straight shout out to those who told you about uh, what Mike D and Philly is, and, and um, along with my collaboration, what we're trying to do with his channel, which is, I think, one of the best channels on YouTube, Real Black. I concur. I concur. Absolutely. Um, I, although you do have a lot of fans uh, who listen to the program and are already uh, really appreciative of your work. Uh, for people, this might be their first time hearing from you. Uh, anything that you think folks should know about who you are and the work that you do? Well, all I can say is one thing. I know very little about myself because I'm not egotistical. I'm not egoistical. I'm someone, I've been in the educational system. I was chased out because I don't think they want strong, educated black men in front of our black kids, especially in front of our black boys. And um, that's problematical. So I had issues with the school system. I was uh, the most honored school parent coordinator um, twice. And despite that, they said <laughs> I wasn't doing the job. Um, I did a book called uh, Mnemonics, which is geared to help children learn because it's important that kids learn. Uh, I don't think we pay enough, enough attention to the education of our children. And one of the things, I was always trying to be very honest with the parents. You know, a lot of times the parents will come to school and they say, is this a good school? And I would say, what do you mean by good school? In order for this to be a good school, first of all, you have to be good parents. And the first school our children have is in their homes. And we have to make sure that the conditions change so that the home environment is the first positive learning environment that our children have. And this will set them on the way where they can be good students. And then once they get into school, we have to have teachers who believe in them, who believe that they can learn. And this is all part of the racist system. Um, education is the key. And I learned a long time ago, this is what I try to teach a lot of the parents. You have to uh, teach your children how to read, and once they can read, they have to read to learn. So they learn to read and read to learn. And one thing I can say about me as far as I'm concerned, I am a lifelong learner. And people have to avail themselves of what is available. The technology presents itself where no one should go through this, this world uneducated. There's so many ways that, that we can get an education. Uh, we have to be careful. We have to know how to look at things. I have a new term I call IQ. We have to have the IQ to be able to see through things, but we have to come to things and be aware that everyone has a bias. And that's what we'll get into, I think, uh, later on during our discussion. Right on. Heard some of that from David Oyelowo uh, at the beginning of the program. We'll get into that later. Uh, for folks who have not seen you, you are a black male. Is that correct? Black male, yes. Right on. Uh, this program, context of white supremacy, I have unfortunately concluded that we are in a global system uh, that I call racism, white supremacy. I use those two terms as synonyms, use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows a global system of people who classify themselves as white 
and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Well, I look at the term racism as problematical. And I, I, I look at it as problematical for one reason. I believe there is only one race. That's the human race. But in terms of how the race as we know it, by that definition, where people have been classified according to racial characteristics, hair type, skin color. This is something that is a 19th century construct. And one of the biggest things that formed that construct of judging people racially, the thing that is the most significant factor is color. And so as a consequence of that, we have the prophetic statement that was made by W.E.B. Du Bois that the problem of the 20th century will be the color line. And sadly, as a consequence of the narrative that is controlled by those who dominate the culture, people with white skins, they dominate the culture. And I mean, this is something you probably, you know, you're familiar with from Frances Crest Welsing. She says people with white skin have looked all over the world and they've changed the dialogue. They've changed the narrative where we see ourselves as a minority. People who are people of color see themselves as a minority when globally we are not the minority. People who have white skins are the minority. But they've changed the narrative, they've changed the dialogue, and they've made the image of whiteness. They've glorified it, they've given it a superior status, and we're living under the condition of what we know as white supremacy. Before I get to, to some of your work as a film historian, uh, I did just want to ask, I already mentioned uh, The Walking Dead that's coming on, one of the most popular television programs uh, on the air. It's been on for seven years, going into its seventh season on AMC. Um, in my view, the system of white supremacy uh, is run by violence, uh, particularly violence against black people, and that's literal and figurative violence, whether it's the violence in terms of how black people are projected in cinema or real authentic violence, uh, Sandra Bland, Flint, Michigan, poisoning of the water. So there has to be constantly violence. That's why I think a, a cinema looks the way it does. What do you make of, uh, with The Walking Dead specifically, you've had for a year and a half, people have been waiting for this show that's about to come on in a few minutes to find out which character got their, uh, got their brains bashed out with a baseball bat. What do you make of that sort of content uh, being kind of standard and normalized uh, under the entertainment system that we have currently? Well, I think looking at uh, film, August, the tragedy of it is that what we're, we're not only glorifying whiteness, we're glorifying violence, and, and that's a tragedy. And in terms of 
who is the subject of violence, one of the things that, that is problematical and, and is a constant in literature, in, in um, film, is that encoded in the messaging, in the messaging of what images we get, the black man specifically is projected as a beast. So that when you kill him, there's very little um, remorse. You don't have the same degree of, of people being upset by it. And it's something that is happening in the media. And it started in film with the, um, the, the, the Death Wish movies and the Dirty Harry movies. And if, if you go back and watch those movies, um, the, the way they were attempting to er eradicate crime, they projected the black man as the criminal, and when you shoot him down, you know, like, make my day, go ahead, I'm going to shoot you down, and it's going to be okay. You go back to the Westerns. It, uh, it was glorified in the Westerns, the killing of people of color. The Native American, the red man, and the, um, the, the Hispanics, the, the Mexicans, all of this was glorified in Westerns, and Westerns were your most popular genre. So you just come up, and what you get now is um, you, you've had urban Westerns, and then in, in the films, the, the, um, the TV shows that are on now, a lot of it is nothing but vampirism, it's uh, zombies, it's glorifying the, the image of, of killing people. And that's tragic. Necessary, uh, I submit, in the system of white supremacy. Uh, Mr. Woods, when did you become interested in seriously studying film, the history of cinema? Uh, when did you start doing all of that stuff seriously? I've been doing this for over 60 years. When I grew up, and this is something we're going to discuss um, in the near future. It's something we have in the can. We just have to, to add to it. But Gus, when I grew up in the 50s, television was just uh, a new technology. Uh, the early 50s, I was born in 48. But in um, the mid-50s, I grew up and I watched Westerns. I love Westerns. And I grew up on Westerns. And little did I know, there's a term in sociology called adult discount. Are you aware of that term? No, sir. Okay, adult discount, what it means is, as an adult, you should have, as a consequence of being an adult, you should have learned right from wrong, have a knowledge of what makes sense and, and what doesn't make sense. But I did not have, as a child, the adult discount that if I'm watching The Little Rascals, I grew up on The Little Rascals, if there's an episode where um, they find a, a lamp, they think it's Aladdin's lamp, and they're rubbing it because they know if you rub the lamp, you'll get something that you wish for. You rub the lamp, you wish for something, right? So you have the little white boys there. They're wishing for something. I wish I had a, a boat. I wish I had um, a big house. 
But when the little black boy rubs the lamp, you know what he wishes for? I wish I had a watermelon. I wish I had a watermelon. Now, as a kid, that's funny because I don't have the adult discount to know that that's a stereotypical, a negative stereotypical joke. Now, getting to Westerns, I didn't realize that all of my Western stars, predominantly a lot of them, were rebels. So I grew up, uh, Nick Adams used to have a show. Uh, he played Johnny Yuma was a rebel. He roamed through what? Uh, Yancey Derringer, slave owners. His family was slave owners. My heroes in the West, I didn't know these guys were racist. Um, that's what we were being sold on. They were whitewashing um, notorious real-life bad men, but they glorified them, they whitewashed them, and they made them heroes. And little black boys and little black girls were growing up on the dastardly devils of society, but we grew up loving them. That's what we got in motion pictures when I was a kid. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Watermelon. Um, I've heard some of your uh, talks before, and you focused on white men and how you were given all of these racist white men uh, that you, you know, accepted as heroes on these different television shows, Western specifically. Uh, how did people like Virginia Mayo and Rhonda Fleming, how did they impact you as a young black child? Well, that, that's what I'm talking about. I'm growing up, and you know, <laughs> if the imagery is that the, the sexy woman is a Virginia Mayo, uh, Rhonda Fleming, and we see them, we have, what's happening to us is we're gr uh, going to grow up with a desire to want these women. We certainly are not going to be attracted to um, Hattie McDaniel, as uh, the way she was projected, as some, now, I'm saying this, this is the way uh, they've been described. Orly, black, greasy-looking, overweight black woman. You see? Uh, and as far as what the black women had to look at is um, how are they going to be more attracted to someone who looked like a step and fetch it or Mantan Moreland as opposed to Clark Gable, Tyrone Power. You see, so the images that were projected of us was they want to show Blacks as being unattractive, uh, ugly, and nothing desirable by anyone. That's the imagery. That's what we had to grow up with. That's something we have to constantly try to fight against, and a lot of it is still there, but little by little, we're making inroads into it. That's why uh, one of the things we did on the channel is where I discuss the fact that when you had motion pictures, when I grew up, you rarely saw black men and black women being romantic with each other, kissing. Uh, when I first saw uh, two black people kiss on the screen, it looked funny. Their lips looked funny. It was odd. It was a, an anomaly. And this is something 
that is a consequence of, you know, when you get a steady diet of something, if you get a steady diet of steak, if someone gives you all of a sudden some um, some cheap food, it's going to go against what you're used to. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. I just I wanted to ask, number one, I had two questions. The first one, uh, what was your response? Because you said, uh, and I thought it was very important, not seeing very many images of uh, black females in particular where they get to be the, the voluptuous, beautiful female and not in, in some kind of trashy, uh, degenerate way, but like a, a prized, valued, cherished woman. Uh, that is appreciated, that you don't get to see many images of that in terms of a black female, what would you say to people who say, hang on, Mr. Woods, Beyonce is on TV all the time, Kerry Washington, Taraji P. Henson, Rihanna, Gabrielle Union, they're just tons and tons and tons of black females, uh, Halle Berry, who are on TV, primetime television to- uh, programs and major motion pictures and getting Oscars and things, it's changed a lot. You see a lot of images of really beautiful black females on television now. Well, I, I just respond to that by saying, you know, it's all relative, Gus. Um, one of the things I have an issue with is the fact that when you look at, and, and, and I'll address your, 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 um, what you just said directly, but let me just preface it this, this way. When you look at what we're getting in motion pictures today, as far as, let's say, the women the black women are concerned. The black women, if they're dark, they don't have the glamorous image. Most of the hot chocolate you're talking about, the the sexy, devastating, what we call fine-looking women, they're not very dark. Very rarely are they dark. You have um, Holly Berry, uh, very light. Zoe Sedana, uh, um, Taraji, she's not very dark. She's she's brown, but you know she's on. You know if we're talking about different colorations, the different levels. But if you look at it from a a broad spectrum of of the imagery. My biggest issue is that you take Viola Davis. In her own words, she said, Hollywood is still about the brown paper bag test. Viola Davis, you're not going to see being projected as a sexy, beautiful black woman. She'll get a role that is considered the, it's not going to, uh, in today's time, you're not going to have her play a mammy. Although, remember, she was in the help. But she'll play what is called a earth mother type, a spiritual type. She's coming out in fences. She's going to be, uh, the dark woman will be shown as someone who's the, the woman that you can trust to be a good wife. The sexy woman, the one that the guy may be going out and, and, and um, messing with on the side, that's the, what we call the high yellows. That's <laughs> You follow? A- absolutely. If I could interject just to make your point with Viola Davis, 
she's the star of How to Get Away with Murder. ABC is in its third season, has done very well. She won an Emmy, in fact, for her first season on How to Get Away with Murder. This is just a 38-second clip from season one. This is Viola Davis. She's married to a white man, unfortunately, uh, in this program. But this is an exchange between Viola Davis and her white husband from How to Get Away with Murder. And just, I can get your comments afterwards, Mr. Woods. Okay. You're a monster. Monster, huh? Is that all you got? You could do better than that. You want the truth? You're nothing but a piece of ass. That's what I saw when I first talked to you in the office that day. Because I knew you'd put out. That's all you're really good for. Dirty, rough sex. I'm too ashamed to tell anyone about it. That's how foul you are, you disgusting slut. So that's Viola Davis's husband, white husband, talking to her, calling her a dirty, disgusting slut that he's too, that he has rough sex with, that he's too ashamed to tell anyone else. That's her white husband telling her this. Um, you were saying about Viola Davis and dark-skinned women in Hollywood? Yeah, there, there, there are two ways they'll project the, the dark woman. Uh, the way I described in the first instance where she's, you know, there used to be a song, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, Never make a pretty woman your wife. You ever heard that? Wow, no, sir. <laughs> well, that's what, I, that's what I meant when I was describing uh, the way they'll project the dark woman in the, in the first instance. In the other instance, what they'll do, they'll project them as someone who's a booty call, uh, less valued than the high yellow. They'll treat the high yellow with more respect. That's why in a lot of these films, you don't get the dark woman as the woman that the black man is going after. If he can't get the white woman, he's going to get the Latina. If he can't get the Latina, he'll get the high yellow because she's the prized possession. And it gets back to this whole thing of how the dominant culture, how we've been anglicized into seeing white as right and white as the the desired thing. If you can't get, you know, remember the old thing. If you're white, you're right. If you're brown, hang around. But if you're black, stay back, get to the back. It's, it's not happening. You know, a classic example is um, uh, uh, the film with Spike Lee, the Spike Lee did with Denzel. Um, uh, they're playing their musician. More better blues. More better blues. He ends up with Spike Lee's sister, but the prize possession they went out was the high yellow girl. Remember that? Yes, sir. So, so that's that's what you get. Uh, uh, the the dark woman in in film. She's she's either that the the. the the earth mommy type, the earth mother type, the mammy type, or the dependable housewife, the, the woman you could trust to take care of the home, you know, but uh, I'll give you a classic ex- example. Um, you go back to um, St. Louis Blues, Bessie Smith, 
1929. Uh, people can look at that. They can go on YouTube. They'll get a clip of it. You see uh, Bessie Smith, this dark-skinned woman. Queen Latifah just did it, but Queen, Queen Latifah, it, she doesn't have the, the, the skin coloration of the actual Bessie Smith. But in that film, the same way you had um, Paul Robeson and Emperor Jones, Emperor Jones, Paul Robeson is leaving a dark-skinned girlfriend. And when he goes out on the road, he falls for this high yellow girl. Bessie Smith's St. Louis Blues, she's the dark-skinned woman who's giving this guy all this money, taking care of him, giving him clothes. But who is he spending his time with? Who is he... He's spending his money, the money he gets from Bessie, who's he giving the high life to? The high yellow. And even they use the term in the movie. Man, that high yellow girl, what she got? That's the imagery because it's all about getting back to this influence, the impact of the culture we're in where color plays such a prominent role and how we see what is beautiful and what is not, what is desirable and what is not. The context of white supremacy, I know Dr. Welsing would appreciate that. Uh, you, in your earlier response, you touched on how also within what I say is white supremacist-dominated Hollywood entertainment, um, they do not want to show images of black males and black females getting along, being loving, romantic. Uh, they really are not interested in projecting those type of images. You said it, it used to be uh, just the most foreign thing to see a black male kissing a black female on screen and how strange it looked when you first saw it. And I was thinking even older films like Nothing But a Man uh, and even a film that you mentioned I saw in one of your talks on Real Black, uh, the film Glass Shield, you even have a, a loving black relationship there where they're affectionate, uh, they're not arguing and yelling, they're just really taking care of each other. Can you talk about the, the impact of not seeing that and then the few times in films where you have seen it, like Nothing But a Man or Glass Shield? Well, Nothing But a Man uh, is one of my favorite films, 1964, uh, Michael Roma. But what's interesting about Nothing But a Man you know, we're talking about white supremacy and, and, and nothing but a man is from the, 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 the hands of a white director. Absolutely. Okay, so, um, you know, this is something we can get into discussing. Um, uh, the imagery, a lot of times what's regrettable, Gus, is the fact that a lot of the offensive imagery is not just from the hands of, of whites. Sadly, uh, we get it from the hands of our own uh, uh, black writers and, and directors. And, I mean, seeing that relationship in The Glass Shield, that's because of the director, Charlie Burnett. His consciousness, that goes to the point David Oyelowo is talking about. If we're not a part of the process, if we're not in the game, we can't tr control how the pieces are being moved. And that, that's really what we need to discuss. How do we uh, find a way 
to make sure that we're not begging someone to give us the imagery that is respectful of us. The only way we're going to get what I call justice, it's up to just us to do it. With, uh, I guess there were two different points with uh, where you were saying that, you know, sometimes it's uh, black people uh, who are the ones who are producing these images or who are responsible directly at least for these images. Um, That's where I come back to system of white supremacy where you have this system. Those non-white people are going to be contaminated with regards to how they think about black people and whatever self-hating anti-black uh, concepts or views they have about black people. And then I also think if we're talking about if this is Hollywood or the film industry, uh, you're also in position where we might not be willing to pay you to make a movie about black males and black females getting along or where a dark complexion black female can be respected and a, a wife or doing whatever she's doing. Um, we might not want to pay you to make a film like that or to rec- direct a film like that or to write a film like that. Uh, that it also, in my view, in a system of white supremacy, it's very easy to pick. We're going to compensate you when you use your talents to support, reinforce white supremacy. We're not going to compensate you, reward you for using your talents that's going in any way, shape, form against the norms of that system. Does that, is that logical? Does that make sense? It makes all the sense in the world. It's uh, what gets me in a lot of trouble because I'm not afraid to, 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 to call names and call people out on it. Um, uh, uh, Brother Dick Gregory, he talks about um, how these people play the game, you know. Um, when I had a, a shop years ago, um, the 43rd Chamber, I had all these stars coming in and, and I would talk to them, but I also know from talking to Sidney Poitier, uh, Robert Townsend, and I love Robert Townsend, um, uh, someone with a consciousness where he's not going to condescend and, and, and go to the level where for the money puts, put things in his film that go against what we should want to see our black involved in this process for them to do. You know, this notion of going along to get along, you know, where the dollar, the money, they play the game, they they get caught up in that lifestyle, and they lose sight. You know, if they don't have that consciousness about what they're doing, it, it, what, what can you expect as, a, as, a, as an end result? I'll give you an example. The Wayans. Um, the film Senseless. Have you ever seen that, Senseless? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, this, this is one, one of a few examples of, of um, an attempt at comedy at the expense of who we are as how we look based on this dominant white culture's projection of us, okay? There's a scene in Senseless where um, the Wayans um, kid, he's, he's, he's senseless because of all these uh, drugs he's, he's got in his body. 
and he's not aware of his surroundings. He's at a, uh, a Knicks game, and he sits down next to Patrick Ewing. And he, he doesn't know it's Patrick Ewing, but he knows he that he's at the Knicks game, and he's talking about how the Knicks would be better if Patrick Ewing was a better player. But one of the things he, he says, yeah, Patrick Ewing, he, man, if he only played better, we could, we could win. That old black Sasquatch. And, and, and he's saying these negative things which go to how um, the negativity and, 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 and um, the, the European standard of beauty, all the negativity of what blacks, the beauty, he's saying everything that hurts that imagery of black is beautiful. And he's saying all these things, and then when he comes to where his, his vision is clear, he sees he's next to Patrick Ewing, and Patrick Ewing, look, Patrick Ewing looks at him and throws him, tosses him on the um, basketball court out of anger. And what does um, the Wayans boy say? He's still an ugly MF as far as I'm concerned. That's black people doing this, and you would think they, they could do better. There's another film um, with um, another one of the Wayans brothers where he refers to one of the black characters because of his dark skin. He says, you look like a struck match. This kind of stuff irritates me. And I, I'm going to discuss it when I talk about colorism in, in, in film and how we get caught up. We as blacks get caught up in that garbage and we're helping to promote the, the um, negativity that is in white supremacy. We're helping to support it with this garbage. Right on. Do you now or will you in the future uh, have any books uh, that analyze, deconstruct television, film in the context of racism, white supremacy? I have now... In uh, March of next year, two books. One is on technology and how to decode the imagery. And I'm working on a monumental book, which is going to be a tribute to the Steppen Fetchets, the Ray Turners, the Mantan Morlins, where I'm going to put a name to the picture. You know, a lot of times in, in, in motion pictures, we would see these black actors, but they wouldn't get what is called a screen credit. And I used to say, you know, um, if you watch a Western, a Western movie, they'll give a credit to um, Gene Autry's horse, Gene Autry and his horse, champion, Roy Rogers and his horse, Trigger. But they won't tell you who the black guy was. You know, so we'll, we'll learn about the horse named Trigger, but, <laughs> but you won't know who that black guy was because there was no respect for the black actor. They didn't even want them in the films, you know, for a long time until they were embarrassed into actually using black actors. For a long time, it was whites playing black parts. And when they finally went to using black actors, what they went after were black actors who could look grotesquely in the imagery of how the whites looked when they were playing blacks with the the kinky wigs and the 
protruding lips. And so I have that book. Uh, that'll be out um, late next year. But the one I'm excited about is um, a lot of people have been excited about how um, Mike and I, we've been going over technology. And there's some technology and some recent films. But I'm going to break down what I call pop culture. Um, uh, I call POP, what we know as pop culture, which is short for popular culture. I break it down and I say it's pop culture because the POP stands for patterns or practices that promote offensive propaganda for the uh, perpetuation of privilege and positions of power by the elitists and the oligarchs of the dominant culture. We will be looking for it March 2017, March 2017. Um, Speaking of some of the more recent films, there's been a lot of commentary about uh, both Nate Parker's uh, court dealings uh, as well as his new film, The Birth of a Nation. You've talked about it uh, with Mike D at Real Black. Um, I wanted to ask, what do you make? I have juxtaposed the release of uh, Nate Parker's new project with Sam Greenlee's 1973 The Spook Who Sat By The Door. Uh, both of these films deal with counterviolence, black people uh, responding to white supremacy uh, with counterviolence uh, against racists. Uh, I've contrasted those two films, uh, and particularly uh, the way both films, the release of the films was kind of sabotaged and they run in theaters. Sam Greenlee has talked about that, how uh, his film was harassed and didn't get a good play, and it looks like uh, the same thing could be happening with uh, Nate Parker's project. Uh, what do you make of that comparison? Well, uh, it's almost... Okay, you have to look at it on different levels, Gus. Um, when I did um, commentary on Birth of a Nation on Mike's channel, Real Black, you don't know. <laughs> I was attacked. I was called a coon, undercover coon, and everything, you know, where you have the trolls come out and say, well, what's up with this brother? You know, what are you looking for? Uh, the perfect film? If he wants the perfect film, let him make his own movie. But... Here's the thing, um, and I'm not making excuses, but uh, on that particular day, I will be honestly uh, forthright and say, I, I think um, I wasn't very clear in conveying what I've coined as a, a term I called circum circumscribed historicity. And what I was judging Birth of a Nation on, having seen it, was based on that, um, that terms. Uh, what I mean by circumscribed historicity is that when we get motion pictures with black folk, for the most part, you're getting biopics. You had, um, what, race with, about Jesse Owens. You're getting um, uh, Selma about Martin Luther King. You, you, you get... Um, even the, the, the film where uh, Morgan Freeman played um, uh, oh I, I mean, I'm, it, um, he's playing um, the, the 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 leader of South Africa. Oh, the film about Mandela. Mandela, and um, so you get these biopics, 
and and you take Morgan Freeman as Mandela, you, you you're not going to have the history of what these blacks were fighting for in South Africa. You you know you, you when you had Mandela take over, you know him and Winnie, they 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 had a parting of the ways because there were a lot of black Africans. They weren't ready for this um, reconciliation. And that's what we get in, in movies. When we get the movies, and this is what I'm, I'm pointing out in my, book, in my book, and this is what I, I wanted to say when I saw Birth of a Nation. We keep getting these films about slavery, 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 slavery. Now, yes, slavery is something we were subjected to. We went through it. But we have a history that is so vast. We have so many other stories to be told. Why don't we get them? When we had Malcolm X, I made a comment when we had Malcolm X. I said the reason why we got Malcolm X is because they could show Malcolm X saying he didn't see all white people the same. Many people aren't aware of it. James Baldwin wanted to do a Malcolm X story in the 60s. How come it never got done then? When it's decided by the status quo dominant culture to give the green light to something, there has to be a caveat where when it comes out, it doesn't have a subversive message. And that's the point I wanted to make. Now, comparing uh, Birth of a Nation, if people see it, they'll see what I'm talking about. You're going to have the rebellion, the defiance. It's going to be presented in a way that you're not going to have an understandable, violent retaliation against what blacks were subjected to in slavery. You're not going to have the violence against whites that they're so ready to show white violence against blacks in slavery conditions, they don't mind showing blacks suffering the most heinous, atrocious, brutal conditions. They don't mind putting that on film. But let anyone attempt to show a black man beating the hell out of a white guy, and I'm not saying this, uh, to be vicious. I'm just saying it's the reality. You're not going to get that. Now with Spook who sat by the door, that's different. Spook who sat by the door was able to come out because they didn't feel that film was going to hurt because black exploitation was not made for a mainstream audience. It was made for a niche audience, a black urban audience. And the reason why that was so powerful is because it wasn't watered down because of that factor. But that film scared white America because if anything, and I spoke about this in a clip we did called What Black Exploitation Could Have Been, if we supported the best of black exploitation, and we demanded the best that it could be, then more films like Spook 
could have been made. And then the things I talked about that I want to see in motion pictures as opposed to slave films is motion pictures produced where we have solutions and, and um, attempts to address not only the issues of the past, but contemporary issues that are holding us back and continue to suffocate us politically, socially, and economically as a consequence of the devastation of white supremacy. We'll nab some of our callers in a second. Uh, the number to dial 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you have a question for the Professor Charles Woods. Um, just really quick in terms of uh, just comparing uh, the interference, uh, alleged sabotage that both films experienced. Do you think that's a an adequate uh, comparison between what happened with Birth, uh, Birth of a Nation, the Birth of a Nation, Nate Parker's project, uh, people saying not to go see it because of the allegations of rape and all that, and then with the spook who sat by the door and not being given uh, a long theater run and being pulled very quickly uh, from some theaters, as, as you stated, uh, there being evidence to that effect. Do you think that's an adequate comparison? No, I, I think people have to understand um, that the sad about Birth of a Nation, Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation, is that we'll never know what might have been because of the rape charges. And that caused a lot of people to dismiss it or not want to support it. I would love to know what would have happened had this not, this, this um, controversy not surrounded the film. What, what could have happened? Because if anyone watched the clip I did with uh, Michael Dennis on Real Black, they'll hear me say that I felt the film was well made. It was, it was uh, 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 Nate Parker. He did a, a wonderful film. It's technically sound film. But this, this issue of um, the rape charges, it hurt him a great deal. Now, um, that because of that, we'll never know what might have been. Because remember, when this film garnered the, the $17.5 million, the highest amount of money, everyone was talking about, oh, this is going to be the biggest film of the year. And then all of a sudden, this came out, uh, this thing about Nate Parker came out, and everyone wants to know where the heck did that come from? So that that's the... Um, that was that was the sad part for me. What films would you recommend for black children to get a better understanding of what racism is, how it works? Um, I don't understand the question. I mean, because you mean in terms of to see a film and to watch it and to know that racism is at work? If you have, let, we have a lot of black parents that watch, listen to the program they have children that are 12, 13, 14 years old, what are films that you would encourage them to watch with their children so that they can get an understanding uh, of what things that have been done to black people, things that are being done right now, things that they should know as a black person? What films would you encourage for black children? Does that make sense? Well, the most important thing is that 
you know, you don't let your children watch films, especially a, a young children at uh, a young age, and they don't watch it with adults for the fact of what I spoke about with adult discount. You know, you're watching something, and like with the Little Rascals, um, they could look at some of the Little Rascals, and the parents could point out how this is racist, where there, there's some scenes where um, there's, a, there's, for example, there's an episode where the little black boy is supposed to change into a monkey. You know, how racist can that be, you know? Um, there are films um, you could watch with Shirley Temple, uh, The Littlest Rebel, and um, uh, the, the film she did with uh, Bill Robinson. You could see how they presented uh, blacks as happy dockies. Um, Gone with the wind. That's racist. Uh, there are a lot of things on, on um, YouTube that the parents could watch with the kids and say, you know, this, this is what it used to be like. This, this is crazy. There's a film um, uh, Stand Up and Fight 1939. Um, we're going to, we're gonna, uh, Mike and I, we're, that's a film that, oh my goodness. Uh, if they can order that some way and look at that, that that's a, a, such a deplorable film. But if they want to see a film on YouTube while it's still on YouTube, they can watch a film called So Red the Rose. And, and, and they could see um, how blacks were presented in slavery times as some happy darkies. And when they made an attempt to rebel, how that was squashed, where some white woman is going to tell the black rebel, look how good we've been to you. You know, more or less what they wanted to project slavery is something that helped elevate the status of blacks who came from Africa. You know, there's this history they want to uh, present that slavery was actually a way of civilizing the African. Wow. We had a uh, few folks that called in with questions. I wanted to toss out uh, just a few films, uh, films or TV shows, and just get your thoughts, quick 60 seconds of your thoughts, uh, throw out a couple films, and then I'll get to some of the folks who dialed in. Uh, did you see uh, Ernest Dickerson surviving the game? A long, long time ago, yes. Okay. You 60 seconds to give your thoughts on that one, if you remember it? Uh, basically, um, surviving the game was is like a, another iteration of... Um, there was a film that was made a number of times where, where um, if, I, if I remember correctly, uh, surviving the game where, where you, you have these... Uh, people, they're like running to keep from being killed. And um, I forget the, the, the title of um, the, the, the early films that, that did this, this whole thing. Even um, Jean-Claude Van Damme made a film very similar where they, uh, in the early part of it, they're, they're killing all these um, homeless people. And, 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 that's the thing with they're using poor people or people they find that they feel uh, have no, no, um, no one to, to care for them or wonder where they're at. 
They're using them as animals, just bait. You know, like you go hunt, it's a hunt. And and that's that was what that was about. And that was, um, you know, it was tragic. But uh, I didn't particularly, I, the film, when I saw it, it was entertaining. But that's the whole thing where they find some way to make killing, they glorify it, they make it entertainment. And that's the nature of this society. Okay. Let's see. Uh, the next one, uh, Hurry Sundown, came out in 1967. Diane Carroll, did you see that one? Yeah, Hurry Sundown was, uh, you know, one of the, the early films to show um, what I said, one of, the, one of the first films where you would see a black man and a black woman kissing. It was um, Diane Carroll and um, Robert Hooks. And um, what they did with that film is, is you had Robert Hooks and Diane Carroll. They were the love interest, the black love interest. And they're going to team up with some poor whites, team up to fight to keep this land from some um, some white folks who wanted to get the land. Uh, and you had the veteran actress Bea, Bea Richards was also in that. She played like the mammy type. But, um, uh, you know, this, this typical, typical um films that, that came out where you had uh, they made an attempt to show blacks and and when they would show blacks they would have these validating whites who were working with them to help better the conditions so it wasn't just the, the blacks uh, demanding that their conditions be improved and safeguarded but they had the validating white alliance um, in that film as well Last one before I get to some of our callers. Uh, the Boondocks, Aaron Magruder's uh, animated series. Four, four seasons it was on. What, did you, what were your thoughts on The Boondocks? I never watched The Boondocks. Um, I used to see some of the, um, the cartoons, and I loved his, um, his humor. He was a satirist. Uh, he was very uh, cautionable. I think a lot of his work is problematical for the powers that be. Um, here, here's a brother, I think, uh, from my understanding, <laughs> he's someone, um, because of his politics and his consciousness, I think he got, uh, this gets him into a lot of trouble. And that goes to the issue of um, what they want out there in terms of imagery and projection. Uh, they don't want anything that's smart and sassy and that they can consider subversive. Right on. We will get to the phone line. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you have a question for the Professor Charles Woods. Uh, M1, did you have a question? You should be with us, sir. Oh, hey, good evening. Hey, Mr. Woods, I just want to say it is, as, as well as Gus, I just want to say, Mr. Woods, it is good hearing your voice. Again, I mean, I go back to the 43rd Chamber with this gentleman. I mean, I can tell you all kinds of discussions we have. The 3D effect in particular, he should know what that is. You, you, if you're talking about the 43rd Chamber, oh, my God. Didn't we have some great days there? Yes, yes, we did. But uh, 
And, and you know, uh, you could tell the people every now and again who would walk in, um, among other people, uh, Tarantino, Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney, yes. Uh, certain, certain martial arts masters. Yes. You know, all, yes. all kinds of, uh, all kinds of people. Uh, now, would you say another way that racism is practiced is, for instance, you played play the clip of the King of Scotland, and David Oyelowo states that uh, Forrest Whitaker was essentially a supporting character, and the white guy was the star. Now, this white guy was fictitious. You see that in movies like the last King of Scotland, Amistad, uh, Men of Honor, where these fictitious white characters are invented and the black people who are supposedly the main subject end up becoming fictitious. That's even happening in a Bruce Lee movie where the white guy is... We have a lot of people uh, who dialed in, if you could... Kind of get to your question. Yeah, I just want to say, yeah, I just want to say, do you believe that inventing white characters and make in supporting stories on black people is an act of racism? Yes, it is. And it's what I call the dilution solution. It's all about they're telling us that black doesn't sell. And in order for it to sell, we have to put some milk into this coffee, the Cafe Olay solution. Um, classic example is this uh, last thing that was done on Miles Davis. That was a travesty. But the, 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 the whole thing is they, they have to make, they have to bring the white guy in. Um, Mario Van Peebles spoke about it when he did Posse. They have to bring the white guy, and we got to be able to sell it. Um, Danny Glover wanted to do Bass Reeves. Where's the white guy? Where's the white, white, white guy? And this is what David Oyelowo is talking about. You know, in English, uh, your kids, uh, they learn what a sentence is. Uh, Gus, uh, and for the parents out there, the, the kids go to school, and they got to learn what makes a sentence. The subject and the what? And the predicate. That's the two main parts of a sentence. Well, when it comes to motion pictures, the dominant society, they're the subject and they control the predicate. In a, in a sentence, the predicate talks about the subject. He who pays the piper calls the tune. People just got to realize that this is their world. They don't give a doggone bit. Uh, they don't care about us. The only reason why we're getting any films out there where we're having more prominence is because of people power. We watch a lot of TV. We watch more TV than anyone else. We account for a large percentage of the movie-going audience. So out of concern for uh, respecting the demographics, they play to that. But they want to make sure that they put a product out there that they still feel the most important person in the world, the most 
dynamic segment of the movie-going population that they want to appeal to is the white audience. Did you have one more question, uh, M1? Are you satisfied? Uh, uh, no, uh, thank you. Uh, and I apologize for reminiscing. It's just that I hadn't seen this or heard from this man for a long time. But no, thank you. No apologies needed. Uh, Thomas in New York, did you have a question for uh, the professor, Charles Woods? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, um, I do have, um, I have three very quick questions, so hopefully I can get them in. I want to know uh, what Mr. Woods thought about um, VR, um, the, the new uh, virtual reality um, headsets that they want people to see movies in. Uh, what's his thoughts on that? What was that, uh, VR? Yes, um, you put your cell phone or whatever apparatus inside of it and you put it on your head and you look at the movie through that. Here's what, here's what I would suggest a lot of people do. We just did a thing uh, on, Mike, on Mike's channel. We did a thing, the technology of Trump. And what's very important is that last part where we, we have a character from Network. It's going to tell you, watch out for this technology. You know, you go on a bus. Uh, I wanted to... Um, get this lady's attention the other day. I said, excuse me, miss. She didn't hear me. Why? Her ears are plugged up. Everyone's plugged up. Cell phones. Uh, uh, they even have a movie came out with, um, I think, um, Sam Jackson, Cell, The Cell. Watch out for this technology. It's all about brainwashing. You know, when we talk about television, it is television and it's programming. This is all about telling their vision and programming us. And what they're doing with the technology is looking for more and more ways to commercial, commercialize how they get the product out because people are not buying um, records and books and DVDs the way they used to. You know, now you, you just can't go to store and, and find stores that are selling these things. It's, it's all streaming. It's all, uh, if you want something, if you want the hard substance now they have what is called made on demand but all this change in technology they're just coming up with ways to find more ways they can uh, get your money and appeal to how people want to do things but we're getting away from reading and studying and we're letting ourselves be victims of this technology and let me tell you something the people who run this society, they have think tanks and they study ways how the programmers, when you look at this election, this is all part of the programming. And here's what you have to understand. The government we get, the movies we get, is the because of the response of the people. If you want good government, you have to have smart, civil, civic-minded people. If you want good black movies, you have to have good audiences, good in the sense where you have to demand it and support it. Watch out for this technology. 
Um, my second question was, what was your thoughts on reality TV? Reality TV? Did you say yes, reality? reality TV. Yes. TV, reality TV, what reality TV did is it eliminated a lot of your writers, people who can make money and, 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 and write dramas and things of substance. This reality TV is it's like um, uh, Jerry Springer helped start all this, this crap where we're looking at things that cater and play to the lowest denominator. This is showing people in their most idiotic, inane possibilities, and it's tragic. We don't need our children to watch this garbage and think it's fun. It's, this is <laughs> reality TV is when you see the news and our black men are being shot down and nothing is being done about it. That's the reality we need to change. Oh, thank you. And thank you for letting me get my questions. This is my last question. Um, what about the black superheroes? I'm noticing that um, you went from having none to now they have the Black Panther and they have Mookie's. Um, and um, I hear DC is coming out with the Black Hero soon. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And I'll meet my line of things. Well, here's the thing. As I said before, a lot of what we're getting is a consequence of the fact that they can't ignore the, 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 the booties that we put in the movie theaters, the, 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 the viewing audience. We, we watch more TV. Uh, blacks watch more TV than anyone else, any other segment. So they have to address that. But here's what you have to understand. It's all conditional. It's all circumscribed. It's boundaried. Um, Black Panther, when you're going to get Black Panther, now will they give you a Black Panther alone as a movie? Or will he have a, a film where he's working with a white sidekick, getting back to the, the, the um, dilution solution, the, the, the putting the, the milk in the coffee. For the most part, when we have black heroes, case in point, I'm looking at Luke Cage. Luke Cage, I'm enjoying it. You know why? Because Luke Cage takes me back to black exploitation. Now, if I say it takes me back to black exploitation, why? Luke Cage is a circumscribed superhero. Where are his boundaries? He's in Harlem. Who are his enemies? People of color. That's the technology. Now, they talk early on about this is Harlem, and you would think it's contemporary, where they mention Phil Jackson running the Knicks. Well, you figure that's recent. But when you look at the milieu, the, el the, um, the environment in Harlem, it doesn't look like the Harlem looks today. You go to Harlem today, it's more, it looks like it's more white than it used to be. So what Harlem are we talking about? That's the technology. Luke Cage is fighting He's a superhero, but he's 
doesn't have super boundaries. He's, he's circumscribed, he's, con he's constricted, he's limited. And that's what you have to understand when we get black heroes in the movies, they have a thing that's called protagonist, the black protagonist. There's only one way you're going to have a black protagonist. You have to have a certain antagonist who fits a criteria where it's, for the most part, some ethnic whites, some deplorable foreign whites, or other people of color. Appreciate that, Thomas in New York. Uh, Roz, did you have a question for Mr. Charles Woods? Um, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Um, greetings to you, Gus, and greetings to you, Professor Woods. Um, I do have um, two questions for you, and um, it was really great to have you on the program this evening. Thank you for coming on. Um, the first question is, why do you think that the highest-paid black actors have not come together to make completely independent black cinema depicting black people as full human beings. I spoke about this when we did the Oscars So White. It's a tragedy. We have the wherewithal in the billions. Everyone else, all groups can come together and form something that addresses their culture, their needs, and, and their humanity. We can't do it. And the reason why we can't do it, because we're brainwashed. We are so anglicized. There is no such thing as a black man in America. I call them new beings, black no mores, and, 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 and um, Negroes. Negroes, which is, to me, short for N-E-W, G-R-O-W-T-H, a new growth. We are a different people because we've been denied our true identity. We have an identity crisis. We have been denied our culture. And a people without an identity, a people without a culture, they're not going to be about anything else. They're going to be about this culture. That's what... They're so busy trying to, to, to be what they're not. They, 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 oh, that's what it's all about. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's, that's the tragedy. And we have the money. But the thing is, and I can tell you, there are a lot of reasons why they can't come together because it gets back to the issue that separate us. Let me, let me say this right quick. Birth of a Nation, Nate Parker. Same thing they're going to attack. One of the factors they're going to attack uh, Nate Parker for and say he can't really make a, a, a definitive black film is the same thing they'll say about Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, Byron Allen, um, even David Oyelowo. They're going to say, well, how black can they be or how black can the message be when you look at who these people are married to? Now, I'm not, this comes up, and this is something that has to be discussed. It has to be a part of the discussion, and that's the reality.
Did you have another question, Roz? Uh, yes, I did. Um, thank you so much for that answer. Um, my second question, I just wanted to know if you agreed with this uh, idea. Um, from my studies of racism, white supremacy, um, when white people studied African people, they found the origins of mental health sciences in Nile Valley, Africa. And they understood that, our ancestors understood that um, the, the human brain thinks in pictures, which was why they used hieroglyphics in the first place as, as the form of writing at that time. And when white people discovered this, they basically perverted it and created what we call cinema, which I consider to be moving hieroglyphics that perpetuate racism, white supremacy. And I wanted to know if you agree with that in the sense that these uh, racist hieroglyphics that they put out that they call film um, are basically used as a form of mind control to give not just black people, but also white people um, the ideas of how blacks are to be perceived and treated in real world conditions. Thank you. And I'll mute my line. Well, let me just say right quick, and, and, and a lot of times, unless you're allowed to really fully flesh out uh, what you're saying, some people may misunderstand my point. I'm going to uh, be attacked for this, but let me just say this. They study, they study these things, and, and, and you know, in the Bible it says, in the beginning was the word. And we talk about a picture being worth a thousand words. Images have power. And it's interesting that we talk about the real world and it's controlled by the R-E-E-L world because images, this technology, you know, before film, we had the written word. We were... Um, disgraced, dehumanized, debased in literature. But now, through film, they can do it in a way that's been unheard of and in a way that, that really subjects, subjects us to this condition until we find a way to destroy it. These images, yes, they go back to the fact that before the written word, people talked in pictures. That was the language. And we have to know that this whole thing about color and race, it's all about divide and conquer. You know, um, Martin Luther King said, we have to learn how to judge people by their character content of their character, not the color of their skin. But for people, as Francis, Dr. Francis Cresswell said, for people who see themselves different from the majority of the world, that's earth-shattering. So they've come up with a way to say there's not something wrong with me, there's something wrong with everyone else. And they've used technology to change that narrative and it's something that when you study you can look this word up it's semiotics it deals with signs that's what it's all about signs semiotics the language of signs and we have to understand it and you're so right my brother it's it's there and they have the technology 
And the only way you're going to be able to change it is you have to know how the technology works. Appreciate that, Roz. Uh, the caller at 2812-2812, did you have a question for Charles Woods? Uh, good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have uh, three questions. My first question for the professor is, there's been a, a um, an abundance and an increase of shows on television um, directed specifically by black, black females, uh, Ava DuVernier, um, and a host of others. Um, that, and it seems like all of their messages are very, uh, they kind of run together. And what I've noticed on all these particular shows and trying to support their messages and seeing that a lot of these shows are specifically anti-black male. Um, and I know that these individuals have to make projects, but particularly for shows that are like on the own network and as Gus discussed a little bit earlier on ABC, can you talk specifically how or the role that these black women are consciously or unconsciously playing in putting these, uh, putting some of these portrayals out for black males? That's an excellent question. Excellent. And, 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 um, you know, just remember, whatever I say, it, it's going to go towards the need for further discussion, debate. But I'm going to throw this out to you, my brother. You are absolutely right. And let me preface it this way. I went to see Queen of Cotway, and sitting next to me was a, a, a black woman. And she said, did you see um, Queen Sugar yet? I said, um, no, I haven't, but I need to see it because it's part of the, the, the ability to analyze something. You have to view it. She said, well, I have some problems with it. I said, what is that? I don't like the way the men are projected. There seems to be something wrong with all of the black men in it. Now, own, uh, own is um, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey was part of the color purple. When the color purple came out, people, black men were raising hell because a lot of your uh, novels were popular, the black women doing more reading than the black men and, and they just waiting to excel films. Black men were up in arms. Oh, here they go. Another thing, uh, another film with that, that black male bashing. Now, I looked at some of the um, Queen Sugar and I'm looking at the, 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 um, the, 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 the old, the brother who just, he's incarcerated. Now, I know Ava DuVernay, she does a thing, 13. She's very much into how incarceration has really decimated the black male population. But I'm looking and I'm saying, my goodness, the, 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 the black basketball player, he's cheating on his wife um, uh, with, a, with a, a, a prostitute. Um, the brother is incarcerated. Um, the, the, the one decent-looking black guy in there is this light-skinned brother who's uh, Dondre Whitfield. Um, and I'm saying, you know, why couldn't they make him 
the incarcerated brother and have the darker brother be the more positive. But there are issues, and this it just continues. But here's what I think the point that has to be made is this. For too long, you'll have a lot of uh, women, black and white, say what we've got in film was the black male gaze. Images of women from the black, uh, from the from the um, from the male's perspective, where they've been objectified and whatnot. So now, when women, um, the Sandra Rhymes and and, and um, Ava DuVernay, when they have their turn, well, of course you're going to have their schema, their their perspective, and we're going to have to live with their view on things. But that's what we're getting. That imagery is there. It's there. And I, I, as you see it as a problem, that's because, as David Oyelowo will say, we each bring our own subjectivity to whatever we watch. We all bring our own particular gaze. And I have my gaze, you have yours. But I think there's always going to be this discussion where something is going to upset some people. It's not going to bother others. And then there's going to be debate one way or the other. But that's the reality. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, my second question was, um, uh, uh, how, and I'm going to give an example of a director, Reginald. I'm sure you're familiar with Reginald Hudlin. Uh, his first couple of films, um, I enjoyed them, uh, particularly Boomerang and House Party. Um, I know they were both comedies, but um, House Party I just thought was very well done. And Boomerang, I thought, was a good depiction, even though you did have some of the colorism in it of African-Americans and people attempting to have positive relationships. Can you just talk about in your professional opinion how these directors go from, in their early days, the Boomerangs and the house parties to where now Reginald Hudson was involved, and I'm sure that you're aware, with Quentin Tarantino in doing Django. Um, how, just if you could just talk briefly about some of the decisions they have to make aside from the money how they lose their independence, some of the creative choices that they're forced to make. Can you just talk about that a little bit um, for a quick sec? Well, um, House Party, I um, I had uh, mixed feelings about House Party because when that came out, I, I took my um, daughters to see it, and I was appalled at the language. I, I didn't like the, 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 the language with the, the, the rappers in it where they were using this 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 profane language that I felt that could have been a little more subdued. But in terms of, um, here's, here's what I'm pointing out in my book. When you have the, uh, the black directors and, and the Hudlins, they're very talented, very smart guys. I knew them from back in the day. They used to come to me, they needed footage and stuff like this, but, Going to Hollywood, I, you know, all art is ideological. So what I'm pointing out is when it comes to making a film, once again, you, you have what you put on the page, your point of view, your, your ideology, but when the gatekeepers decide what they're going to fund, there have to be certain changes made. And when it comes to black films, what gets greenlighted far too often are your comedies and your musicals. And so your strong messaging, that gets diluted. 
So rather than the idea ideology, you get what I call the ideology. I, I have to deal with the ology of the gatekeepers. And so good, better, and different, you're going to get a lot less of what we want to see from a positive perspective as be, uh, we as blacks, and you're going to get more of what mainstream people feel blacks are all about. And you're going to get that colorism also where, once again, Holly Berry in, in Boomerang, she's the one that Eddie ends up loving, if I'm not mistaken, because if I remember correctly. But, but that's what happens with film. Film, for the most part, it's not about pleasing black folk. It's about putting something out there that's going to continue the status quo. And the only way we're going to get film that's about us, we have to take charge. We have to be in control. And if, we, if we're in control, then we can have the diversity. You know, it's not all, it doesn't have to be all what we consider um, positive. Because I like some, some humor. I like some comedy. But it can be more realistic, more dimensional. And that's what's important. Uh, hang tight, sir. I know you said you had another question. I'm just trying to get through as many of our callers as we can. Uh, the caller at 9769-9769. And thank you, folks, for not speechifying today and just getting right to your question. 9769. Hello, can I be here? Yes, sir. Hi, uh, good evening, Gus and Mr. Woods. Uh, Mr. Woods, um, what are your thoughts on the indie movie Moonlight, where the main character is a gay black male uh we we um i i sat with mike dennis on real black uh, you can go to uh real black on youtube and mike dennis saw the film and he knew in discussing it he expected the trolls to come through and attack it but here's the reality i didn't see it so I can't comment on it, but I will say this. The same way we fought to be respected as blacks and demanded our rights, we have a large segment of people who make up the LGBT society who deserve respect. Um, if people want to condemn them for that, then they're not, they're not being humane. They're not being respected, respectable. And if, if people want to quote the Bible or whatever religion or whatever book they call holy, we're all God's children. And for a film to, to get made like this, and I hear it's well done. Mike loves it. Someone for the New York Times said it may be one of the best films of the year. I think... Um, a great deal of credit has to go to people who are willing to make this. If you look at a lot of the dramas now on TV, one of the things that's part of the casting now is the homosexual relationship. So it's a reality. So we have to respect it. Um, I, those are the kind of films, to be honest, I'm not comfortable seeing. 
But if someone wants to, as I told Mike, if someone wants to be able to analyze something, they have to view it. And I try to take myself to anything I go to, and I try to be as objective as possible. And thank you for the question. Mm-hmm. Um, may I ask one more question? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, Mr. Woods, um, do you think it is problematic for black actors, directors, to be married to white people if they want to make black films? I may get in trouble for this because some people, I'm nationalistic, but I'm not. I happen to be half white, half German. What does that mean? You can have uh, someone black as the ace of spades, and they, they could have white blood. This whole thing about race, it's a construct. It, and I don't want to say anything that may go against the grain of what this particular show is about, but I'm, I'm trying to be for real. This is all about divide and conquer. If people see that there's something that is, is the common thread of all, we're all human beings and we stop seeing in terms of color, you love who you want to love. You love, that's what it's all about. You know, when I grew up, I was told not to bring a dark black woman in the house to marry. Okay? So, the thing is, when I brought it up before, it's something where a number of people who are married white, they get attacked and it, it, there's, that it's said that they can't really put a black product out there because of their associations with who they're married to. It happened with Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey didn't even want light-skinned brothers to be a part of his movement. That's something people need to look into, the reality of it. So um, it's all about your consciousness. If, if you're making films where you're not trying to show Blacks are better than whites, whites are better than blacks, but people are people. That is what we should be aiming for. But what we're caught up in in this society, and that is what I believe the show is all about, addressing the deleterious effects of white supremacy, and that has to be addressed, then we, can't, we have to discuss it. But I don't feel if someone is married uh, to someone who is not of their race, if they had their head about them, if they know who they are, then it's not a problem. Appreciate that, uh, previous caller. Uh, retired firefighter, did you have a question for Mr. Woods? You should be with us. Greetings, everyone. Uh, greetings to the guest, Mr. Woods. Uh, uh, first, in a humorous way, I, I do recall that this song that you were uh, asking Gus about uh, uh, it, uh, well, it had a, you know, pretty upbeat tune to it. I remember that as a child. Um, Ivan Dixon, uh, who, uh, managed to, uh, get through the purge of the fifties, uh, like, uh, Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte, uh, didn't get all of the recognition that those two gentlemen, uh, received, but I always was interested in him, uh, uh, Malcolm X said the movie that he uh, played in, uh, Nothing But a Man, was the was the best movie he ever saw. Something uh, to that regards. I would just like to know your your take on his body of work uh, in front of as well as behind the camera. 
Well, I met Ivan, spoke to him. Ivan was a wonderful gentleman. He was a proud black man, but he knew what it was like, the difficulty he faced as a black man in Hollywood. When Spook, who sat by the door, was out there, he was not getting a dime when they were being bootlegged all over the, all over the city. He didn't even know who put it out. It was something that um, he didn't get a dime from it. But I spoke to Ivan, and I thanked him as a person of color behind the scenes when he did Trouble Man and when he did Spook. There's a scene in Spook with Paula Kelly, if you remember, where she's this prostitute, and the, the character in Spook tells her, this is how I want you to look. And he gives her this African garb, and Paula wears her hair in an Af African um, coif. He was saluting the beauty of the black woman. And if you look at Ozzy, I mean, um, uh, Ivan's films, he did not put any gratuitous sex in his movies. And that was a tribute where he didn't want to exploit the black woman's body. It's sad. Ivan was uh, someone who didn't enjoy more success, but he was a man of dignity, and I loved him, and he sorely missed. That's the feeling I get also. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Uh, the caller at 5771. 5771, did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, uh, Gus. Greetings, Mr. Woods. Um, greetings. You were, uh, you were having a conversation uh, during the conversation earlier. You were talking about uh, blacks, uh, you know, black uh, love, you know, love stories uh, on the screen. Uh, it brought me back to uh, an interview that I read about uh, uh, Theodore Witcher and why he never got a film. Now, just to remind you, Theodore Witcher was the writer and director of a 1997 movie called Love Jones, which I thought was one of the one of the more recent authentically black films uh, because it didn't have any white uh, cast members. Uh, it didn't pathologize uh, a lot of, you know, black issues. I mean, it did have relationship issues, but it didn't pathologize all of them. And it was very, you know, it was a very authentic love story. Uh, but, you know, he got blackballed after that. He never got a film after that. Uh, so uh, I wanted to get your comment on how, you know, a director can, you know, can go from a film, which is actually, you know, a pretty decent film to, you know, being his only film that he's, he's made in, <laughs> in his entire repertoire. Love Jones was a beautiful film. A, a, a film that celebrated the art of the human word, but it also spoke about black men, black women relationships. Here's the thing. Black folk 
They cry all the time. We want this. We want that. And as I said earlier, if you want good films, you need good audiences. Queen of Cotway came out. No one went to see it. Good, bad, or indifferent. Whatever issues you had with Birth of a Nation, people could have gone to see it. No one went to see Love Jones. Love Jones is a cult favorite. But see, if they make a film and it doesn't strike box office gold, we don't get the chances others get. You know, if we're lucky to make a film and it doesn't make a lot of money, it's sayonara. And, and that was the tragedy of this gentleman. With, with, um, you know, others, they can come out and make something that doesn't do well. They're given another chance. It's not the same with, with our black uh, producers and directors. And it's important that, you know, uh, you take uh, the great debaters, Akilah and the Bee. Um, no one went to see these films. Very well-made films. And, 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 you know, the only thing we're going to get that constantly gets made is this crap. Because, sadly, I think the, 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 um, the audience has been dumbed down. Um, we're not demanding quality and we're not, we're not celebrating it. We're not supporting it. And I think that's what happened in this case. I assume that answers your question, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Lashy, did you have a question for Mr. Woods? You should be with us. Hi, good evening. This is Lashy's calling. I have a question for the professor. Um, can you speak a bit about whether or not back in the 1910s, 20s, or 30s, what we call race films, if those black directors depicted black people in any form of dignified light is my first question. Well, what happened with, with the race films, they went through different permutations. Um, you had William Forster with the railroad porter, he wanted to do black films for the, the prospect of making money with the new technology. Um, with the, the Johnson brothers, when they, when they formed the Lincoln Motion Picture Company, it was about social uplift. And the, the film that really started the movement is Birth of a Nation, which uh, D.W. Griffith's film in 1915, where you had the reaction to that. And you had Emmett J. Scott, the secretary of Booker T. Washington. He did a film which was uh, called The Birth of a Race, but all kind of things happened. Money ran out. But there were attempts to address mainstream's imagery of, of um, blacks with race films. The race film industry started. Now, with the 30s and 40s, I call what happened with particularly the late 30s, early 40s, I call those films race movies, but they were actually, when you look at them and you analyze them, they were what I call blackface, films in blackface. They were white genre films with black stars. So as a consequence of that, you would have actors like Ralph Cooper, 
who would be called the colored Gable. You would have um, Lorenzo Tucker. He would be called the colored Valentine. So that's what you had. But there was, in some ways, what you were presented with was a contrast to the popular image in mainstream films of blacks as mammies and butlers and servants and step and fetcher types. At least we had a more dignified image in the race films. But for the most part, you didn't get black culture in those films. Got it. Um, as far as your comment on Queen Sugar, the show, so far yes. there's one black male character who is extremely dark that is actually shown in a positive light. However, I, I was told there may be a twist in his storyline, but there's nothing confirmed yet. But so far there is only one black male who is extremely dark figure that is only the positive male character in the show thus far. That's have you seen uh, Have you seen the film, the show? Yes, I watched all episodes. That's why I said thus far he is the okay, only so, character thus far. Okay, we don't well, know the, what the remaining episodes will have him morph into to be, but thus far he's the only one. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, because the person I was very um, elated to see uh, uh, someone who looked like him, dark like him. And so far, I felt he was very positive. A beautiful image of a black man is the one who is married to, not married, but he has the, um, the wife who's bipolar, and he's trying to help Correct. her out. That's, that's the character I'm talking about. That is the only black male, dark-skinned character in the show that is in a positive light thus far. Yes, ma'am. Thus far, the only one. Yes. And I think that's very important. Yes, and let's hope nothing happens. Yeah. And okay. two, uh, as far as uh, Ava DuVernier's products thus far, I, too, see that thus far she has done okay. She has done good. She hasn't turned me off, disgust me anyway. So we'll see how her trajectory goes as far as her career is concerned. As far as um, her career uh, off Do you have same. any more questions as opposed to uh, speech of mind? Do you have a question? No, that's, that's my, that was my only question in regards to uh, race film. Oh, okay. But I just had an issue with the Ava DuVernier blanket statement that she is one of those black female directors who fall for the same okadoke of portraying black males in a negative life, where she has not done that thus far in her career. That's why I'm bringing it up as a statement. Therefore, I have an issue with that. And I just want to say, her, so far in her career, that has not happened. So please do not put her in that category, because she hasn't produced anything to put her in that category, as being one of these black females who is highly, highly anti-black male. I okay. just hate that whole blanket statement from certain black men. It's just uncalled for. It really is. Okay. Did uh, I think that was a caller that uh, made that statement. But, about, but hang on one second. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. I think it was a caller who made that statement. I would have to go back to clarify. I guess he's still here. He could uh, restate uh, what he said. I don't know if he said it was uh, for the entirety of her career or if it was specifically to uh, Queen Sugar. Uh, the caller 
Actually, we have other people that have questions for Mr. Woods, so if folks want to address that down the road, that's fine. Mr. Woods, did you have a comment that you wanted to, uh, any response that you wanted to get to all that before we get our next caller? Let me just say, um, um, having watched um, the Queen Sugar, um, what's important is this. As I said before, when you get images, you're going to get different people's uh, subjectivities, their different gazes. We have to understand when we get uh, movies, there has to be, this is the one thing we've always demanded. When Walter White was bringing Lena Horne to Hollywood, he wasn't saying I'm looking um, to uh, eliminate the fact that we have black maids and black butlers. But what about the black doctors we have? What about the black lawyers? It's about balance. So if we have a drama, and Ava DuVernay thus far has been exemplary. She's wonderful. She's conscious. Uh, she knows the issue. She's dealing um, with uh, black, in, uh, black men being incarcerated. We're getting a diverse roles of black men and black women. So in that diversity, you're going to have to take the good, bad, and the indifferent. And that is what we call balance. And I agree with the caller. And if I sounded like I was condemning her portrayal of black, black men in this, this show, in no way, shape, or form am I generalizing that she's projecting them all in a negative way. She is certainly right. Thank you very much, Professor. I'll give the uh, mail caller who brought that up, I'll give him a minute later on if he wants to readdress his statement or clarify or respond in any way. Uh, the caller at four four six eight three four six eight three. Did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Yeah, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, how y'all doing, man? How you doing, Mr. Woods? Thank uh, you. I had one... Oh, excuse me, man. Y'all hear that background, man? I'm uh, at the plantation, but I had one question. Um, I noticed you were saying earlier kind of sound like to me like you were saying uh, black people should not accept certain roles in, uh, you know, movies and TV shows and things like that, that that project us in a negative way. And so I wanted to just ask you, and this may be a silly question, but uh, do you think that black people boycotting, you know, or just refusing to participate in all parts of the systems that we have. I mean, do you see any positive momentum in, in, uh, in that concept? And uh, I'll, I'll meet myself out, Gus. Thank you, man. Gus, did, could you restate that question? I, I didn't hear it clearly. Uh, I think his question was he was saying that earlier you said that you think it would be constructive if black people declined certain roles that, you know, do not reflect black people uh, positively. Uh, and he said, do you think it would be constructive if black people uh, just rejected uh, entire aspects of the system and saying that we just we're not going to participate as much as possible? Do you think that would be constructive? No, I, you know, I, I think it's unrealistic to have drama, to have film present anyone uh, all positive. That's not reality. But as I just 
uh, made a comment to uh, the lady caller. The only thing we've ever asked for is that things be realistic. They be presented with a dimensional, realistic balance where we can see that what's on film has a relationship to what we experience in reality. For too long, it's been one-sided, where it's been all stereotypes, tropes, negative tropes, where we just get the same old imagery if, 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 if it's obvious, overtly racist, they do some technology where they make it more covert, and it's just what Spike Lee, uh, he likes to use the term neo-minstrelsy, you know? Um, but the thing is, I love what Denzel Washington's doing. I like Chiwetel Ejiofar. I love um, the stuff we get from Queen Latifah. I love Viola Davis. So long as I'm not being bombarded and inundated with some same old BS crap and I'm seeing images of black men and black women who are about changing the conditions of their reality, dealing with the conditions of their reality, and movies are addressing that in a realistic way, then that's motion pictures that I think we can respect. I think that's what anyone uh, would demand and hope for. I think that's the goal, and that's the idealistic objective. Uh, the caller at 3637-3637, did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Hello. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show, Professor. I just wanted to ask you about, first I want to ask you about Hallelujah. That Was was that the first all-black cast movie? It was the second. Hearts and Dixie was the first. Okay. Sound. And the first. Sound, okay. All right. And that was for, okay, and then that was a, right, a white writer, though, right? Vigor? Vigor? Yes. Um, Vidor. He had a, you know, what happens is, is they have these, uh, these so-called white men or some white people who have this this loving, supposedly respectful concept of blacks, and a lot of times people say it's just a patronizing, condescending um, perspective that they're not even aware of. But he feels, and, and many people felt at the time, it was someone who had uh, an endearing respect for black folk. But the image he had of black folk is that they were a simple religious people. And, and that's the image we got. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. I want to ask you about Sweetback's Badass Revenge. Now, people um, kind of lift that movie up 
as being a great movie, but the movie, and no disrespect to um, uh, Mr. Van Peoples, excellent, grade A producer, director, but it started off with, um, was that child pedophilia a little bit? The little boy went to a whorehouse? How, how, how did you feel about that movie? That scene disgusted me. I, I thought, you know, let's look at it this way. If a white man did that, what would the outcry be? That was his son in the role. Um, I said it on, 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 on Real Black. I was appalled by, by that. And I didn't think um, Melvin Van Peoples was talented. He's someone who came along at the right time. Um, the film was picked up by the, uh, the Black Panthers. They, they gave it some revolutionary um, uh, credit. And, and the film it was the biggest independent film. It went on to make the most money as, as, as an independent film. But there were some things in that that I felt were exploitative of, of the, the black woman. And um, I didn't think it was a black consciousness film. People want to say it was um, revolutionary to each his own, not for me. And one last question. Have you heard about um, with, there was a, a black woman that wrote The Matrix and then it was hijacked from her by some white people and they came out with The Matrix and... and um, uh, Terminator. I haven't heard that. Uh, one of the things that in my research I was um, fascinated by was the fact that Will Smith, I, I understand, was the first one considered to play Neo. And I'm, I'm wondering what would have happened had Will Smith taken the part. Instead of doing that, that role, he went to do um, Wild Wild West. But uh, the other thing you talked about, I haven't heard that. Thank you so much, Professor. For sure. And our caller is 6133-6133. Did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Uh, hi. Uh, good evening, Gus, and to the professor and to the listeners. Um, yes, Professor, I had a question. Um, I think uh, the other person asked kind of my question before, but I'm going to rephrase it another way. My question is, with the technology we have available today with the Internet, you know, people like Adam Sandler, uh, he's making movies going right to, to the Internet. Should, I mean, should we continue to worry ourselves about how, how Hollywood portrays us? And are we at the point where we can start making our own product and bypass their distributors and go right to the net with the technology we have available and kind of like, put Hollywood to the side? I'll well, that's, okay. First of all, let me just say, from this point forward, um, just call me Charles. I'm Charles. Okay. Um, this may sound self-serving, but I think what happens too often is that black folks are too late to the game. Um, YouTube streaming, we need to look at ways we can get into subscription um, technology. Uh, if you heard um, this discussion of 
Donald Trump, who really doesn't want to be the president, but he's got ideas of starting what? His own TV channel. He even gave a, a taste of that. Now, they're talking about if he has a million followers paying $10 a month, that's $120 million a year he can make with subscription TV. We have the people, the wherewithal, as Adam Clayton Powell said, and maybe it's on YouTube somewhere, or you can look it up. He said, look into your hands. The power is in your hands. Black folk, why are we always complaining about this and that? We have the power. Um, uh, Deepak Gibson wrote a book, The Billion Dollar Negro, years ago. We have, we're so consumer-oriented. We need to be in the pro more production-minded. We can set up our own industry and put out, um, look at it on YouTube, con, uh, con uh, YouTube, where people are being taught mathematics and everything. Our kids, the education they can get from YouTube, from the technology, the movies we can make if we support subscription uh, technology and look into that. As far as um, our being erased or, or, or uh, our imagery not being addressed, we can't be concerned about what other folk are going to do for us. We need to look into what we can do for ourselves. Grand. That answered your question, sir? 3637, that answered your question? Not hearing him. I assume uh, we got his question answered. Um, I wanted to make sure I, I asked um, Charles. Uh, a number of folks have pointed out we started with the segment where David Oyelowo, uh, he was at the uh, BFI London Film Fest, and he was talking about racism in the film industry. Uh, and ultimately, in that same piece, he talked about uh, his role as uh, Dr. Martin Luther King in Ava DuVernay's uh, Selma. Uh, some people have pointed out that within the last five years or so, many foreign-born black people, black people that were born outside the United States, that it seems that they are getting more of the prominent roles, particularly roles uh, in these biopics where they are portraying uh, very important African Americans. Uh, Yellowo playing Dr. King, uh, Zoe Saldana, she was born outside the States playing Nina Simone. Uh, and people saying that they think this is a problem, having black people who were born outside the states who don't have a connection with the racism that has been experienced in the United States. And then not only are they getting these roles, but they're getting roles portraying African-Americans. Uh, do you have thoughts on that, Charles? Well, I, I, um, I looked at, uh, you know, the first it, it struck me was a show called The Wire watching The Wire, and then um, I see the actors on The Wire, they're doing interviews, and their voice is completely different. I said, holy crap, what was... Uh, Idris uh, um, Eba, different voice. Uh, um, Oyelowo, oh, oh, when, you, you know, when they do these roles. And it struck me, I said, How, what's up with these guys? And, and I learned... They come from um, England or uh, other parts of the world. But the thing is, um, 
it's all about competition. You know, you go out, you know, they have casting calls. It's who can do the part. You know, sometimes uh, people who are producing films, they may take an unknown because they don't have to pay an unknown as much money. But if the unknown is uh, convincing during the, um, the, uh, the casting call, well, that, that's something, you know, it's a competition thing. You know, I, I don't think of it as, um, you know, I, I, I haven't gotten into it where, where it's uh, someone's cheating someone out of a, a job or anything. I remember um, Ozzie Davis, I believe it was in The Hill, 1965. He played a West Indian character, and you had the, the black Brit, uh, um, British and Caribbean people. They objected to that. So, I mean, you know, it happens. I mean, um, I, I haven't thought of it in a negative way. Just, uh, I just felt it was competition. Okay. Uh, we had a person, uh, her question was, have you seen When the Bow Breaks, and do you think it portrays black love positively? I saw When the Bow Breaks, <laughs> watched it with my family, and I said, oh, man, what a piece of garbage. Um, but, you know, it, it was nice, you know, uh, seeing um, Mars Chestnut, uh, Regina, well, who was it, Regina Hall? Regina and, King? Uh, I think it's Regina Hall. And this new, um, the new, the new, this new actress. But, I mean, it's, 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 this is what we get. Um, when the bound break wasn't so much about it was a black couple, but you know, it's it's we get what I call um, films that are white movies and blackface. You know, you, you don't have much of the black culture. You just see black folk who um, are living high. They um, they're well paid. They're, they're professionals and. You know, a lot of people feel this is positive. You, you have this image of black folk who are upscale. But as far as um, the love thing, it, was, it wasn't much of the love thing as, 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 it, as it was something dealing with um, some crazy uh, girl. You know, you had the same element in, um, with the Beyonce film where, where um, this, this woman is after her husband, you know. Uh, you don't get the black love so much. It's, you just get the black couple, but it's not a focus on, on black romance. Mm, got it. Got it. Uh, we don't take up your entire Sunday evening. Uh, last question. One of our callers wanted to know, uh, could you speak to uh, Oscar Micheaux's work? Oscar Micheaux. He's someone that um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding Oscar Micheaux. I have a book that I'm going to study someone did where they said he was someone who didn't like his own people. Um, I would direct people to go to YouTube. They could watch God's Stepchildren. That's, that's on YouTube and um, a couple other his films. There was some messaging he tried to do within our gates. It's interesting. Um, he got in a lot of trouble because he, he wanted to deal with the, the subject of racism. And a lot of what he put in his films had to be, 
censored out of it because it was too controversial. But Oscar Michaud is someone I often bring up his name when I look at the people who have the power today to make motion pictures. They have the wherewithal, and they're not using it. And you take someone like Oscar Michaud who did it when it was more problematical in um, the the um, around 1918, up until 1948, he was finding a way to make movies. It was much more difficult. He did it, and we can do it. And and so Oscar Michaud is a giant, and he's someone. Um, at one time, I had um, Robert Townsend uh, sent someone to get some footage. Robert Townsend was going to do the biography of Oscar Michaud, and that never happened it never was completed but that's a story that should be told i think there's some documentaries but he is indeed an interesting character right on people pardon us we had one person dialed in late on the track see if we can get their call as well uh six three five three six three five three did you have a question uh for charles woods the professor yes yes sir um charles what are you um Thank you, Gus, for taking my call. Uh, Charles, what do you think of the uh, Medea films? That's a good question. I, I was, um, you know, we, we just did a thing. We're talking about Boo. I think Boo is out. And, and, and um, right quick, Tyler Perry poses issues. Because, uh, you know, um, you've had Gus, Francis Cress Welsing on this show, you tell me. And Francis Cress Welsing, she spoke about the effeminization of the black male. And a number of, of black nationalists who feel that when you have this uh, cross-dressing and uh, this imagery of black men in dresses, it, it goes to something that's all a part of the, the denigration of black men in a white supremacist society. But I look at everything in a dichotomous way. Dichotomy, I always tell people, is a a word that has always fascinated me. Everything can be looked at in a negative and a positive way. On on the positive side, much of what Tyler Perry was doing, I remember how much joy watching his stuff brought entertainment when we watched it because Medea was funny. And also there was some messaging from a religious, moralistic perspective in, in what Tyler Perry was doing through the character of Medea. But I wonder if it would have gained more respect, the character of Medea would have gained more respect had you had someone like a Queen Latifah played a part, or um, I guess many, many people feel, what's her name, um, uh, the Jones actress who was in um, Ghostbusters. Uh, she looks like someone who could have played Medea if 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 an actual woman played the part, you know, would it have would it have gained more respect and not take on the the negative political aspects from the the issues of white supremacy in terms of the effeminization effeminization of black men? You understand what I'm saying, ma'am? Are you still with us? Oh, she might have. I think she might have disconnected. We'll hope that she understood what you were putting forward. It made sense to me, though, Charles. Mm-hmm. Right on. 
what I know people can certainly they can go to YouTube and they can see your uh, regular installments with Mike D, uh, Real Black, the YouTube channel. Uh, where else would you encourage folks uh, to go to check to get updates? Uh, you said you have the projects, the books that you're working on, March 2017. Uh, where else would you recommend folks to just keep an eye out if they want to see what you're going to be doing in the future? Um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll announce it on the channel. Um, let me just say i got to give a shout-out to my brother. Um, I would ask people to subscribe to Real Black. Uh, Mike D deserves all the props in the world. This gentleman is taking me out of mothballs. You know, I'm retired. I was retired and just trying to uh, recoup. I lost thousands of, of my documents, thousands of books, and I'm trying to just get things together. But Mike's taking me out of mothballs. He's allowed me um, a platform. I love him, and I love what he does with his channel. And I would ask people to... to, to Check him out. Subscribe. Check out what we're trying to do there. And we will announce through the channel where we're going to be. We've done a number of things. We've done the, the band, the black band cartoons, and, and um, we have some other things coming up. The channel would be a good, good source, and I'll announce the release of, of my books. But let me just say, um, Gus, uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, God bless, peace and blessings to all of the people who've called in. They're very knowledgeable, very respectful. And um, I just want to say we're all in this together. And um, I, I just love what, what, what this is all about and what it can be. And I, um, I hope you have all the success in the world with what you're doing. Oh, man, definitely appreciate it. Uh, again, the professor, a.k.a. Charles Woods, uh, really enjoyed hearing from you this evening. As I said, a lot of our listeners, they are big fans uh, of your work and what you've been doing over with Mike D. at Real Black. Thank you so much for sharing with us this Sunday evening. Hopefully we can have you back on the program uh, in the future, certainly to review uh, some of your written material and just to get some of your thoughts on uh, other film projects, television uh, works that come out in the future. Well, thanks again, and peace and blessings to everyone. Absolutely. Take great care of yourself, sir. You do the same. For sure. Good evening. Good evening. Context of white supremacy, the professor, Charles Woods. That uh, will wrap our guest segment of the program up. I did uh, certainly will give a, a chance for folks if they have any comments that they want to get in or what have you. I did want to address uh, Lash's comment about Ava uh, DuVernay uh, and whether or not uh, the caller was saying that her body of work, uh, that this has been uh, a regular repeated occurrence uh, in terms of her portrayal of black males in her films or TV shows or whatever it is. Uh, the male caller uh, who was on who referenced uh, Miss DuVernay, are you still with us? Uh, if so, I just want to make sure uh, you can get a chance to restate uh, what you said, uh, if you wanted to clarify or address any of the concerns that were raised about the comments uh, relating to her film work. Uh, the caller, are you still with us? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, yeah. I, if I want to be as accurate as possible, I don't even believe that I addressed uh, her her film work. I think I, my specific comment and question to the professor was the plethora of television shows, particularly in, with these images of black males. And I have watched Queen Sugar. I've watched every episode. 
Um, and that obviously it's just an opinion, but it has, it's not a full scale attack on her, uh, her full film body of work. I was specifically, uh, addressing the network television shows because it's, it's, it's her show, that particular show. And, um, I didn't get a chance, but it was, um, there's a new show out by Issa Rae. There's Shonda Rhimes and particularly on the own network, there are a lot of shows that are getting, uh, a lot of publicity. Um, but you know, all this comes back to white supremacy and, and that, that was the main thing that was going to be my next question, but yeah, it, it has nothing to do with her full entire body of work, but I have watched clean sugar and my opinion of it, you know, wouldn't change even with that one particular character. It's just everything that you watch on own. If somebody watched it for 12 hours and this is just an opinion, somebody would say, stay away from black males, literally. And that's just my opinion. I could be incorrect. But um, yeah, I hope that clarifies my statement. It's not a. It's I saw the Thirteenth Amendment. I saw that documentary. Watched it with my children. There were certain parts of that that were constructive as well. So I hope that clarifies it. Thanks, guys. Okay, appreciate that. Lashes. If you have a follow-up, feel free. I haven't seen Queen Sugar, so I have no comments at all. Uh, I did see Thirteenth though. Uh, Ken Thompson was even in Thirteenth. I thought there were some uh, mm-hmm. constructive aspects. Uh, to 13th. I know Baz Dreisinger, one of our previous Cal's guests, she was in uh, 13th as well, uh, be that as it may. Um, I did think there were constructive uh, elements to that uh, as well, uh, and I think I would definitely co-sign, even though I haven't seen Queen Sugar, I would definitely co-sign. The underlying issue under all of this is white supremacy, uh, and this would uh, be a great opportunity. I was thinking of this before we got into today's uh, program where we don't really do as many programs addressing uh, entertainment, television, and films. Uh, I don't see that trend changing anytime soon, uh, but at least the logic in terms of why I don't focus as much effort, uh, it's been my experience. There are a lot of black people, a lot of victims of racism who focus a great deal of time and energy on television and film. Like, I'm willing to bet, you know, a few nickels that if you look online, you are going to find a sizable number of blogs, vlogs, essays, uh, paragraphs, what have you, addressing scandal, addressing empire, addressing Django uh, Unchained. I'm sure there are tons of them, and as new content comes out, it's going to be more. Man, the birth of a nation. Tons of projects about this. I've just, it's been my experience. A lot of black people focus on that. And I just think under the system of racism, white supremacy, we have a lot of issues uh, that need to be addressed. Uh, And I will employ a metaphor, but I'm uh, at least prefacing and, and making that known so that you can evaluate and see if it makes sense. The way I look at it is if racism, white supremacy is war, being waged against black people, in particular non-white people on the whole, if that is the case, we have limited resources, limited bandwidth, if you will. How much time do we allocate for Netflix? If we have limited bandwidth, how much time do we allocate for Netflix? I'm asking it rhetorically. That's the way that I look at it. I just don't think, I mean, we can, we can sit and watch all of these new projects and dissect Luke Cage and the anti-blackness and this is how it portrays black females, this is how it portrays black males, and 
blah, blah, blah. We can go through all of that and we can talk about every single Tyler Perry film that's ever been made and the birth of a nation and all these new projects, all the new slave flicks. At the end of the day, how many of these are we going to have to break down in order to solve this problem? Uh, that's kind of where I would much rather push the conversation. I just don't think uh, having a counter-racist breakdown of every single film and television program, I don't think that that is going to uh, solve this problem. I could be in error, but that's why uh, I think it would be best to not have as much focus on the television film entertainment aspect, even though that's very popular. And, and I also, my concern with that is, I think Mr. Wood stated on the program, we watch a lot of television anyway, and that's black people specifically. We watch a lot of television under this system anyway. I think a lot of that is escapism. I think sometimes uh, our habits can look the same. Uh, it can just mutate a little bit as opposed to I'm watching television just because that's my enjoyment as a victim to, well, I'm watching it to pick out the racism and that sort of thing. If there's not, you know, an actual project, some written project, a video project, something uh, where you're deconstructing this and this is not just me vegging out in front of the 30, uh, vegging out in front of, you know, my big screen uh, and saying that I'm deconstructing the racism in the project, that is a concern that I have as well. That stated, uh, folks have comments they would like uh, to share what they heard from uh, the professor, Charles Woods. Uh, certainly Lashes, if you want to readdress anything with Ava DuVernay, feel free. Uh, last comment that I did want to make sure I got in. Uh, it's all well as good. I'm not saying there's anything incorrect about it when people submit that black people should try to make our own film projects television or film or what have you, particularly with technology as it is, uh, yeah, I mean, you could almost make, you know, a pretty quality film with your phone, uh, with the cameras and, and everything where it's come. That's all fine and dandy, but I don't think uh, it can be understated the interference that you will get even if you attempt to do things that way. That's just what the system of white supremacy racism is about. Uh, so you can, you know, get your coins together and whatever else you need to do and make your independent film. You can put it online someplace uh, where people can view it via subscription or what, even just put it directly on YouTube if you're not worried about finances, you just want people to see it. That's fine, you can do that, but you're still going to have racist interference in trying to get those projects out. And that's just something I think is extremely important to not lose sight of, to not minimize, uh, to not obscure as though that's not a relevant factor as to why more black people don't get out and do these projects. Yes, I think it would be constructive. I think it would be a benefit. Anyone listening to this program, if you have an idea about that sort of thing, get active. We need more black people to be active and not be spectators in dealing with this problem. However, for sure, just go ahead and, and factor that in at the very beginning that you are going to get uh, a commit a you will get a relevant amount of interference if what you're doing is constructive. Period. Uh, folks that are with us have uh, commentary they would like to share. Anything they heard from Mr. Woods, line should be open. Feel free. Yes, sir. Yes, um, very good show. Um, I learned a lot. Um, but I, what you just said was very true. Uh, there's a person that used to be involved in the music industry um, by the name of Damon Dash. Uh, he was once partnered with Jay-Z. And uh, he has a lot of YouTube uh, where he's talking to his barber 
And um, he's pretty much discussing that he's trying to break into the film industry and he's doing a direct-to-consumer um, type of thing because um, that eliminates a lot of um, the racism. If you wanted to, to just stream it straight to the consumer, um, they paid $5 an episode. He had a television show that he made. Um, it, it seemed to be sort of like a power type of show. Um, however, you know, um, what you just said is very true. Now, if you look at um, it's, it's former partner, Jay-Z, who um, went big time and bought a streaming service, a streaming music direct to the customer, um, and um, seemed to be very successful. You saw how the media and um, the mainstream media, particularly the white media, um, has um, sort of shut the brand. Um, they have a lot of power to do that. And uh, also to turn other entertainers against them. Now you see um, Kanye and him have a, a big thing going on. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention was um, I sent an uh, email with a link. Did you get a chance to see the new Kanye West video, Uh Not yet, I haven't. Um, he's in the bed. Everyone's naked. Um, it's him, Kim Kardashian, um, Donald Trump, um, the lady who started Rogue, Caitlyn Jenner, Bill Cosby, um, George Bush, and um, Diana Brown, and uh, this um, white girl who's always arguing with uh, Taylor Swift, and they're always um, they're all in the bed naked. Um, and, it's a very strange video. Um, I checked it out and I thought it was uh, pretty grotesque. He stayed elite. Um, and uh, the last thing I wanted to mention um, um, that kind of slipped my mind right now. I guess I could come back to it. I'm in my mind. It slipped his mind. Um, the uh, caller from a block, or I guess anybody that, if you did not get a chance to ask a question, uh, and you are with us, was a hand up. Did we miss anybody? Anybody who didn't get to ask a question? Great, I didn't think so. Anybody else have commentary they wanted to get in? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm just... <laughs> calling in because and then it seems like right now it just went away well first of all greetings to you Gus and and um the rest of the callers um I was just hearing it sound like somebody's tv or something for like the longest time so I missed the vast majority if not all of what the last caller just said and I'm not asking him to repeat it or anything like that but I just I guess wanted to let people uh people awareness that there was just this um seemed like this background noise. I don't know if anybody else heard it, but, you know, that was all. Other than that right now, I'm just listening. All right on. I think something might have been in the background on Thomas's uh, line. I could hear what he, what he said, but uh, his admiration for the new Kanye West video. But, yeah, I think he did have some, some background noise on his line, and I think he muted once he finished, so that's why you don't hear it anymore. Uh, anybody? Yes, sir. Yes, uh, uh, in my my opinion, uh, and I think uh, it has something to do with what you were uh, stating, uh, that was on the uh, movie screen and on television uh, has very little content towards solving the problem. Uh, it could be some constructive viewing in both. Uh, with me, it's... Uh, 
for the most part, uh, documentaries. Uh, although documentaries can be uh, switched and changed in the editorial room to fit the uh, the owner's uh, perception, uh, especially with a white person, uh, and uh, you get most of your uh, valuable information from uh, the written word more so than uh, audio-visual. Uh, but I watch documentaries more so than anything. Uh, Sports-wise, yes, I, I, I watch uh, football, but I have uh, conditioned myself to be able to watch it with no sound at all. I don't need anybody to say anything because I'm primarily looking at it as a football coach uh, more so than anything. Uh, if I can see something that I can uh, adapt uh, and, and present it to the young people that I deal with. And my goal and objective in that light is for them to, uh, uh, as many as I can, to, to push them towards college, those, especially those who want to go. Most of them want to go, go that route. Uh, and it, it would assist in that kind of way. Uh, but, uh, you know, even with movies, what I noticed for some reason, uh, uh, I don't know exactly uh, whether it's the uh, the producer or the director or whatever, even on something that actually did happen. For instance, Malcolm X, that they have to put fiction in uh, a movie uh, that actually kind of like turns me off in, in, in so many untold words because I don't really don't need it. Uh, but I do understand some people need that, I guess, need that fantasy. Uh, uh, that would get them in most most cases some kind of sexual content, uh, which seems to be exciting with a lot of people that they need to have that, uh, or it's uh, also some purposeful conditioning that uh, the director or producer is doing uh, in these movies. Uh, but uh, for the most part, as far as regular quote unquote regular TV, most of the stuff that I've been hearing. I be hearing. I don't even know what 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 you're talking about at all because I don't. I don't. It, it's, it's so far removed for me personally of seeing uh, because it doesn't hold any interest uh, with me. I guess uh, I used to watch TV a lot uh, as a child. As a child, uh, I can recall more of that than I can recall anything that took place yesterday or today, uh, uh, and uh, so. Uh, I think the program was, uh, was was pretty good, and I think the uh, host uh, uh, showed that he had an abundance of uh, of uh, information that he can assist other, others with who has questions uh, about uh, audiovisual in regards to uh, non-white black people uh, trying to uh, end the global system of racism like supremacy and replace it with a system of justice. Uh, I was kind of curious that he didn't, I don't think he really did focus on the definition that you uh, commonly put out there. I don't think he really focused directly on it. Uh, but during the course of the, of the interview, he uh, kind of gave you an understanding uh, that he was in kind of like close, at least close proximity somewhat. I did think it was interesting that he, uh, he mentioned that he was, and correct me if I'm wrong, half German, whatever that means. 
I'm not sure on what that means, but I, I think I remember him saying something about him himself being half German, and I'm not sure on what that means. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you. And um, just to piggyback off of what the firefighter in Florida said, and um, greetings to you, Robert Thomas, and the New York lady, and all the other call listeners. Um, yeah, he did say, at least from what I remember, if I could be wrong too, but I remember him saying white, so he was saying he was half white, and then he qualified it by saying German. Um, so um, I think also, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the fact that he is half white might have informed uh, some of his views as far as when he was discussing um, that he said, at one point he said that his, in his mind, the only race is the human race, and he took a very humanistic approach to the way he deals with people. And um, even though he has a, I think he has a really good understanding of um, of the way the system of white supremacy functions, especially in cinema, I think this was a highly constructive but I think that um, some of his views, as far as that's concerned, would be informed by the fact that he is um, half-white. Um, also, I thought that um, the the black male who was talking earlier about um, what he was seeing in cinema as far as um, just uh, anti-black male, uh, I guess, stance in general as far as how it's being portrayed, I totally agree with him on that. Um, I actually was was uh, told about Clean Sugar by a co-worker who said that it was supposed to be really good. And um, I don't really watch that much television myself, but I attempted to sit through the first episode, and as soon as I saw Tina Wesley's character with a white male, that, that did it for me. I couldn't even stomach it, and I said, I'm not going to even you know, support it any further, and I just stopped it from that point forward. So I haven't um, watched it, even though I've, I've heard that there's a lot of um, good inf- as far as good perspectives, as far as some of the counter-racist information that's uh, propagated in the cinema. I just can't do the mixed-race relationship it's a homosexual black male, the uh, black female, so anti-sexual. I just really can't stomach that anymore. So I couldn't sit through the first episode, and I haven't looked at it ever. I haven't looked at it since, and I don't think I would be able to. Um, but I do agree with you as far as um, the anti-black uh, male um, stance that's uh, propagated via a lot of uh, black cinema, um, as far as television cinema. Um, I totally agree with you on that. And um, I just think he has he had a lot of great views as far as just his insight to things the information he can and I'm really glad. Thank you so much, guys, for getting my question in about um, asking the show because um, I'd never really heard the perspective of him um, not liking his people before. Because what what happened was I had gone to a film festival in um, in a Trenton Film Festival in New Jersey, and they actually had a documentary on asking the show, and they showed about two, I think, two of his films, and then they had a question and answer um, period where they had some people who um, were college professors and studied him and, and wrote papers on him and stuff like that, and they discussed him, and that never came up. So when he put out the idea that um, some people felt that he was um, somehow anti-black, which was not something that I seen or heard about. That was the first. I'm going to look into that now that um, he brought that up. But I wanted to say thank you for having him back. I mean, having him on the show, and I think it would be great to have him back on to get his perspectives on um, other aspects of the film industry or specific movies that he might be able to give some um, some great insight into. Thanks again, and I'll be my line. For sure. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I thought the show was uh, pretty... Uh pretty constructive in regards to uh, breaking down uh, racism in cinema. Um, 
I'm also, I'm, I'm just more interested in how these films, you know, get, get about on the screen and the, and the issues that uh, certain black directors uh, and writers uh, do, uh, you know, uh, get in trouble when they try to put an authentic black film out there. Uh, the story that I had, uh, George Tillman, who was the creator of Soul Food, I uh, heard an interview with him talking about how he was, uh, he had so much trouble getting his film uh, sold to a uh, to a distributor because they kept telling him that it didn't have enough violence in it. So uh, it was a, that was a pretty interesting uh, story. One thing I did want to ask uh, the guy was, uh, and, and it came to my mind uh, as he was leaving the show, but why did Spike Lee create uh, Chirac? That was one thing that I wanted to ask because it just it just baffled me on why Spike Lee even did a movie like that. So that was something that I I just, I just thought about when uh, as soon as he got off the show, but uh, probably after next time he's on. Um, Can I be here? Yes, ma'am. Um, Gus, may I ask a question, a general question about replacing supremacy with um, justice? Let's hear it. <laughs> um, one thing that I noticed is that Asians, um, I just looked today on, uh, like, I think the Bureau of, Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics, and what I saw, unless I misread, is that Asians make more money now even than... Uh, Europeans or people who classify themselves as white. And so we know that they were put into the internment camps a long time ago, and it seems like you can't do those things to them anymore, just like you can't, like, seem like you can't really exterminate the Jews anymore and things of that nature because they have, um, they have built up, you know, their economic base. And we know we have one, like, even in the 1920s when we had our Wall Street and, you know, the Europeans, they burned to the ground and all of that. And so my question was, my question is, um, I may even be wrong in saying that you can't do X, Y, and Z to Asians or whoever because we know that the world economy is controlled by, you know, people who classify themselves as white. But I'm just seeing that, you know, those things are happening to them anymore, but yet we're still being abused. And so my question is this. Do you think that it would be constructive to study what the Asians have done to get to where they are economically? And it's just soaring. And if it would be constructive to, to study that, do you know how, or do you have any suggestions as to how one might go about that? And I'll mute my line. I mean, and, not, and, and real quick, not just you, but, you know, anybody on the line that, you know, can answer that question, I, I'd love to hear from, you know, everybody, you know, if we have time, however many people we can hear from. And I'm my life. I think it would be constructive. Next question, how would you go about doing that? Uh, I'm sure, uh, man, I'm sure there are a lot of books um, that cover what's happened with them economically, even uh, current scholarship. Uh, that talks about that. I think we've had uh, some programs uh, with uh, individuals who classify themselves as Asian American, uh, Elaine Kim, Frank Wu, they talk about some of that, uh, the differences in how Asian people have the economic position that they do and being higher than that of black people, uh, how they got in that position. Um, even there's a current article in the Seattle Times uh, came out within the last couple of weeks, uh, and it was talking about 
diversity amongst uh, what they call minority business owners. And they talked about how Asians are treated like white people when they go to the bank. Black people are not, uh, especially black people. They included Latinos as well. Latinos are not treated as well as white people. They're not treated as well as Asians, but they're treated better than black people. And black people are treated worse than everyone when they go to the bank. And they were explaining how this is a big a big part of why there are a lot of Asian businesses in Seattle, very few black businesses in Seattle, and very few black people uh, in Seattle as well. But things like that, I think there's a lot of uh, different resources that you could study. The only thing that I would say is I think it's very important to keep in mind, as you stated, whites are still in charge uh, of what's happening uh, in terms of whatever resources, quote-unquote, Asians have. Uh, racist man, racist woman, allow them to have that and can take it back if they decide to do so. Uh, I think that's important context uh, to kind of keep in mind. I could be in error, but I'm sure there are a lot of resources, some, as I stated, that we've covered on this program and many that we have not. Uh, Meiju Louis, she was another guest on the program, uh, classified as Asian. Uh, her book, The Color of Wealth, I think deals with that as well. And I think we might have talked about some of that when she was a guest on the program, uh, 2009. Some of our listeners today were here back then. Uh, other folks want to comment on that or have other commentary they want to share? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, I would like to answer um, her question. Um, I think it's a great question, and I agree. Um, I think it is good to study what other people have done. Um, I studied actually um, Chinese and I studied the Jews. One thing I think we can take from the Jews is just how they deal with each other. They do not mistreat one another. Even if they don't like that other Jewish person, they will not do something to financially or in any other way harm that Jewish person. And if we could take at least that form of... um, that form of uh, behavioral behavior modification and start treating each other that way, I think we can start making some serious headway. With uh, Chinese people, I think they've done a lot of uh, things because they function differently. Um, they A uh, big game that plays Go, and the game of Go is based on controlling time and space and controlling um, land and resources, which is, I think, more of, more of how chess is played. And like with China, they um, actually bought up all of the rare earth mineral sites in the United States like 20 years ago. I saw a documentary from PBS where they said that the United States only has one rare earth mineral site that the United States owns. All of the other ones are owned by China. And it took them 20 years to understand the importance of rare earth minerals. So, um, yes, I agree with Gus emphatically. White people are in charge. But uh, the way the Chinese people function, they just think differently due to how they, I think their cultural mindset's a little bit different. Also, China's in the process of changing the monetary standard to the gold standard versus the, um, the, the debt-based standard that the United States has in place at this time. So they're making serious right. That's something that, um, uh, Muammar Gaddafi wanted to do, and it was the reason he was actually taken out was because of his um his wanting to go in that direction. So they're actually fulfilling it. He wanted to start with the African continent, um, which would have changed the economic condition of African people literally overnight. Um, and of course that couldn't happen. So Gaddafi's dead today. Um, so yes, I totally agree with Gus. Yes, um, they are people that should be studied to see what they're doing and what they have done, um, to facilitate change for themselves in the system of white supremacy. But never forget that white people are still in charge and there's a lot of things they can do to make things change in the directions that they wish to see them go whenever they see fit until we come with a holistic model of transforming the system on a planetary scale thank you and i'll mute my line 
Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, okay, I heard the echo. It might have been some. I thought it was somebody else. Uh, what, uh, what comes to my mind is the two means that the racist white supremacists use against non-white people: uh, deception and direct violence. Now, I would say, and the term Asian is a very broad, very broad term, uh, because I would say there's a lot of people who come under that title so to speak, that are non-white black people. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I would say that what I think the, uh, the lady was speaking about is uh, people who identify themselves as, let's say, Japanese or Chinese, uh, something like that, of that matter. Now, they may not be, they, they, in my opinion, they're not as uh, uh, deceived they have more of a level of uh, of uh, some sort of uh, uh, codification that they that they uh, exist with one another that they rally around uh, more so than I would say non-white black people do on a global basis. Uh, but I do recall on August the sixth, nineteen forty-five, on the might that has been used over them uh, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki for one example. Uh, also, uh, there are no Chinese uh, naval vessels uh, in close proximity to where white people exist at, but there are white people who have uh, more materials in close proximity to where they reside at. Uh, I think I heard someone says that white people are still in charge from that standpoint. Uh, I also use the example that Mr. Fuller Uses we are uh, non-white people are born in prison. Uh, some of us as inmates in this in this prison called racist white supremacy, uh, due to their more proficient uh, uh, interaction to, uh, amongst themselves, uh, provide be uh, better conditions in some some cases. But nevertheless, we're all still in that prison. Uh, in my mind, and white people are in charge. Uh, hopefully, I'm understood on what I'm what I what I've said. Thank you. Just wanted to make sure I added. They have uh, military bases in some of these quote unquote Asian countries. Put that in quotes too. They have military unwanted yeah, exactly. unwanted military bases in exactly. some of these uh, countries. Quote unquote. Right now, I just wanted to add that, and I also wanted to make a statement. I think it's probably easier to think in a logical, constructive manner if you are a non-black, non-white person because you are subjected to less abuse, less terrorism than the darker people. Hopefully that makes sense. I think, you, I think it's easier to think in a constructive manner because you are subjected to less terrorism than the people that are classified as black statement. Uh, anybody else have any final comments they want to get in? All right, can I be heard? Oh, Hello? Yes, sir. Good evening. I want to say you're absolutely right. Right in between China and Taiwan to secure the people that make the iPhone and everything in Taiwan. 
from becoming a Chinese fleet. Um, you have to have the aircraft carrier right there to um, protect them, pretty much to keep um, China on notice, and they do certain drills to impose a threat to the U.S. aircraft carrier, but, you know, they don't have any aircraft carriers of their own, so they're, they're pretty much on U.S. to major air war against China at any time. They also have an aircraft carrier in the Philippines, and um, you see the president watch that he wants but he said earlier this week he wanted to get rid of the U.S., so he kind of went back on that. I'm sure he got some pressure from Washington, uh, what exactly that would mean to the Philippines. Also, um, the Asian countries, those people come over with a nationality. They have certain treated trade agreements with the United States. The United States makes a lot of money. In India, they make a lot of money in China, the Koreas, Japan, and in exchange, um, there are people who come over here, they're given certain um, loans um, to start businesses, um, depending on what they're coming over here to do. So a lot of these um, restaurants and um, stores you see coming up from the Arabs now, a lot of that is through these trade agreements if you look at it. But uh, also, the United States does that. And don't forget, it's all about white supremacy. So um, like this um, new trade agreement, the TPP, uh, the, the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, that one will make China have to start growing all their food with Monsanto seeds, which will pretty much make them dependent upon the U.S. for their food source. And um, they tried to buy Syngenta from the Germans, which they, they denied China from buying. They, they pretty much put China in a box. And um, so don't, don't think that the U.S. is just letting these people come in and, and get certain things for nothing. They're going to get something at the end. It's all, it's all through the big people that really want things, um, not from the, the, the small whites. It's from the, the as um, Lily Fuller would say, the most powerful white supremacists. Um, they, they, everything they do is for a reason. They're not just letting, don't think that someone outsmarting the white people. They, they, they got this mapped out 20 years down the road. I mean, my Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to uh, add into the the conversation that just recently uh, came up. Uh, My father's black, but I have a Filipino mother. And I wanted to uh, give some perspective on Filipinos um, and Asians in in, in total. The thing about Filipinos uh, with uh, other Asians is that especially uh, I would say Asians in total from their own countries, they are very, they, they are very less confused about white supremacy. Uh, I've known Filipinos who come here, you know, straight from the Philippines and they immediately understand what they're up against when they come to the States. Um, it's interesting too, uh, when you, when they, when they talk about the term Asians, because, you know, there are Asians who, you know, aren't particularly, you know, friendly with other Asians. Like in Philippines, you know, you know, they hate Japanese people, you know, and they don't get along with the Japanese people. But, uh, you know, and the one thing, too, about Asians is also, too, is they have an advantage of having a homeland country, whereas uh, black Americans here, we, you know, we don't have a country in Africa that we can go to or you know, somebody that can support us uh, in another country. Um, the Asians, they, they have that, you know. Japanese have Japan, and 
Filipinos have Philippines and Chinese have China. So it's like, you know, they can, they can get, uh, they can get extra resources from their homeland too, because I noticed also with them, you know, as with my mother, she always sends stuff back to the Philippines to, to help, you know, to help her family and to help her people. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic when I see, or when I'm, you know, among, you know, say my family, you know, in the Philippines, uh, compared to like when I'm, you know, with other black, you know, black people say here in the States, it's a, it's a different type of, uh, uh, environment. But like I said, uh, a lot of, a lot of Filipinos, um, are very much like I said, not the American Filipinos who grew up here because they're Americanized, but you know, the Filipinos who come here as immigrants, they totally understand what they're up against, uh, with racism and white supremacy. Uh, just wanted to, you know, just add that from, you know, just from my perspective. Interesting clarification. Uh, we have a, uh, final, oh, I did want to comment, uh, it's, I don't think it's contested about the internment of what they call Japanese people during World War II. I don't think those non-white people were able to make a phone call to someone in Japan to get them out of those concentration camps uh, that lasted for years. So I've been told. I just thought that was important for context. Uh, did anybody have a last comment they were going to get in before we conclude? Can I be heard? Um, yes, sir. Oh, um, I wanted to. I, it slipped my mind, guys, but... Um, that film, um, I, I sent you a link. I know you get a lot of stuff, but that film, Loving, um, is getting a lot of publicity. <laughs> it's critically, it, exactly, it's critically claimed, and I think it's going to be coming out for major distribution uh, to probably uh, early first quarter 2017. And I wanted to um, ask him specifically what he thought how this film was attacking, you know, how this film was going to be used as warfare in the system of white supremacy because this film is getting a lot of publicity and um, I had a, I do a radio show and I actually had uh, the guy that runs the Virginia Film Festival and he talked about that particular film but he did not talk about, uh, well, he briefly mentioned it but he was more excited about that film than the James Baldwin's I Am Not Your Negro film. So I believe he probably was practicing racism uh, when he was talking about that. But um, that film, just people be on the lookout for loving because that is going to be coming down the pipe and it's going to get a lot of publicity. And uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Everyone's favorite subject. Yes. Yes. Um, we will not be back tomorrow. Thank goodness. Um, Feel free to visit the archives. If you cannot find something, uh, you have a problem, guest suggestion, uh, feel free. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Hopefully we've had uh, some constructive content over the past couple weeks. Uh, We will get ready to roll for this week. Uh, Just check the Facebook page. Uh, You can check the Black Talk Radio Network page. Uh, for all the updates, program times, guests, all that good stuff. Um, if uh, oops, I thought there was one other one other comment, I'll share it. I'll post it uh, via Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. I did want to emphasize. I mean, just the uh, enormity of that. I mean, that is like the grotesqueness of white supremacy 
where you literally had millions of people. Some of our listeners right now, <laughs> while Mr. Charles Woods was speaking with us, who were like, man, I can't wait for The Walking Dead. I can't wait to see who gets their brains splattered out with a baseball bat. Like, just <laughs> the, the grotesqueness uh, of that, where it's, it, that is not even normal. It's something to celebrate. Like, this is jubilee. This is what we are looking forward to doing on the Sabbath, no less, where we all just sat around and, you know, talk or many, I won't say we all, but many of us just sat around and talked about, you know, white Jesus is great or whatever else people do on the holy day. And then to end it all with, yes, let's see who gets their brains splattered with a baseball bat. That is the daily psychosis of white supremacy. At any rate. Uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. Hope it was great hearing from uh, Mr. Charles Woods. Hopefully we can have him back on the program. Thanks to the listener who helped uh, get contact information. I had been badgered by many folks to get uh, Mr. Woods on the program, and I couldn't find contact information for him. And uh, one of our listeners, uh, I said that I failed to get contact information, and she said I'll see if I can track him down. She did, emailed, and there you go. So great teamwork uh, from Cal's supporters. With that, as I say consistently, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. I'd say that's something else that gets uh, normalized. Uh, consumption of narcotics like cigarettes, alcohol, cannabis, whatever it is, like that's something that gets uh, normalized in the system of white supremacy. Be alert to that. But I submit, hey, if war is being waged against black people in particular, non-white people in total, our counter-racist behavior should be reflected at all times in our conduct and the way that we conduct ourselves. And I definitely think being sober is a maximum important part uh, of that codification, uh, especially if you're going to be in a vehicle, driver, passenger, even as a pedestrian. You do not want to be under the influence and have that be the day that you bump into or pulled over by Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson, any other race soldier badge or no, we are in danger and very vulnerable as black people, males, females, children. You do not want to make yourself even more vulnerable by, vulnerable by not being able to think logically and at your best because you are under, uh, unfortunately, being hampered by some substance. Uh, as I said, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever it happens to be. That being said, uh, we will wrap things up. Thanks for everyone tuning in. And uh, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my condition. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.